It's Friday, April 8th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Can be found at manrubs.com or on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear, hot melted plastic made just for you. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The humblest of pillow farmers, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus that is known as the MyPillow family are dishing out savings that are bigger than ever before. When you enter promo code STEAK at checkout, get up to 66% off and more in some cases. In addition, you'll be getting a free gift. What? Free gift? What's a gift? The uh, From Crackhead to CEO, Mike Lindell, What Are the Odds book. The holographic cover? Sure is. Can't beat that. And uh, if you want to find out about all the savings going on down at MyPillow, MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website. Or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative at 1-800-658-8045. Top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, flyer than Beetlejuice, 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 get those ear needs taken care of at Odyssey.com. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's licensed FFL if you're into tradesies. He's got a five star rating and ammo. Ludery design, easy to use website at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. Find him on Facebook Messenger or hit him up via the telephone, 619 870 6992. Steak for breakfast backs the blue. We love our first responders and they're always working hard. While they're off duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, t shirts, flip flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. That's a pretty fire IG. MediocreMedic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair for all of you who like to be extra at the range. Do it wearing a zero fucks duck. Don't know what it is? Hit up Marcho Friday down at dumpbox.us. You can find him on Instagram. You can find him on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, our Telegram, and more. And on that note, to all our friends joining us on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, and now True Social. Welcome to Friday edition Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 123. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's got the day off, and uh, she'll be back on Tuesday. Before we get into the news today, we're going to be sitting down with a very special guest, one of our great friends and, and biggest influencers in the movement. 
Mr. Vishbura, so without further ado, let's jump right into it with him. All right, joining us first on the show today, he is the executive producer of Common Ground Studios. He's worked on some amazing projects like uh, Steve Bannon's War Room, at Gates' Firebrand Podcast, and a lot more things that are working for all of us in the community right now. Needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one anyway. Mr. Vishbura, thanks for coming back with us on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks for having me, guys. It's always a pleasure. It's our pleasure, sir. One of the hardest working men in D.C. A lot of people might not know it, but uh, you're out there burning the midnight oil, the daylight oil, etc. How's everything going with you? Uh, it's good, man. Uh, I, you know, it's uh, the, the fight is never ending. Every time I got to go to D.C., you know, it's like uh, it's like I'm deploying to Afghanistan. And I, and I refuse to live in the, the uh, Soviet apparatchik housing out there. I'd rather live in a cave if I could like a Taliban warlord, but, uh, you know, um, somebody has got to do the work. Uh, it's not necessarily fun, but it is fruitful and rewarding if you focus and if you really want to make change. So everybody should do their time in DC. If they're, if they're a real, you know, activist and a patriot, go and make sure you do, you do your time there. So others can't hold it over you that you never did your time. You know, there's also an element of that. And so, you know, we, we should always be open-minded no matter how much it sucks, uh, go, you know, keep an open mind. Because when if Trump comes into the administration in 2024 or any Republican, really, well, we're going to need patriots to staff all those positions. Where do you think we get them from? You know, it's it's folks like you guys, right? The the, the audience listening to the show, uh, and so you know, you should kind of make sure that you're in position for that if if you really care about changing the country and and getting involved and, and making helping to contribute to real change. You do make a lot of so. sense there. Amanda Milius last week did point out the fact that there were a couple ex-bartenders working at the State Department while she was there. And um, yeah. I'm pretty sure they were patriotic enough to get vetted and get jobs. So it's good. Exactly. It's, it's, it's normal. Right. Everybody talks about the bartender that got elected, you know, but what about the bartenders that went and supported the admin, right? Uh, those, are, those folks are just as important, if not more important, for the everyday stuff. You know, so, um, yeah, she, Amanda's brilliant. So um, no doubt uh, that she she noticed the value of these folks, and the value of patriots being in those positions. Yeah, I, and I think that's going to be one of the largest components of, uh, like you said, any Republican who uh, gets into the White House in 2024, regardless if it's Trump or not. I think one of the biggest things we always talk about that he ran into, and, and there was a lot of them, but was being unprepared for how many jobs were actually needing to be staffed to make sure his agenda got pushed through. And it definitely led to some of the slowing of it at the beginning of his administration for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you, uh, wrote that brilliant, uh, uh, Substack piece, I think what a week or two weeks ago. And, and, and it's just, it's so true. You know, uh, we want, we want to be able to, to, um, be there when, you know, when it happens again. Uh, but, it's the onus is on us to to put ourselves in position to do that and so uh it's it'll always come back to you you know we can always we can always blame other people but you know it's it's all about what you're willing to do and what you're willing to put on the table so that's that's an excellent point there you know you can't just armchair quarterback forever at some point you're gonna have to roll up your sleeves it's like you said every time you get stuck going to dc how you feel uh and actually get in there and start doing some of the work on the front lines because that's the only way things are going to change yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, the, it, you have to, 
you have to go and do the hard thing, the unsexy thing, all those things. And, and trust me, it, you know, um, it is rewarding. It's fulfilling, especially, you know, um, if you are a real believer, uh, when you see that change and you affect that change and it happens, you know, um, it's, there's, there's no better feeling than to know that, that you actually, uh, did something, uh, that was just a thought and came into reality, um, by your hard work, your commitment, your passion, uh, your patriotism. So, um, I, I highly recommend it, it's some, you know, that, that everyone be open to, to some sort of public service. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. And, uh, Definitely something we keep promoting on this show. We know you do it on your end as well with all the things you're working on. Speaking of which, we want to talk about how pretty much everything you touch turns to gold. We'll, we'll go in the Wayback Machine right now. You Are you know, talking about the Steak for Breakfast podcast? Hopefully at some point in the future. We, we know we're in line, but uh, it's a long line. It's a beautiful line, though. There hasn't been any line like this before, but it'll be Big, huge. beautiful line. Yes. So, <laughs> I know the best lines, and we're in it right now. <laughs> Um, your, your time there, uh, you know, Steve had gotten out of politics, kind of done a couple things, documentaries, you know, took some time for himself, was kind of working in the background. And then all of a sudden this podcast comes out, uh, I believe during the impeachment and just, you know, with, with the cast you were guys were able to put together, you know, just took off and, and now they're getting close to 200 million downloads just a few years later. And the work you did there was absolutely amazing. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah. So, um, you know. Let, let, you know, lest we not forget, uh, War Room started with War Room Impeachment, and I wasn't part of that original team. That was Steve, Raheem Kassam, uh, Jason Miller, uh, and there were, you know, other producers involved in putting that together. Um, so, but I think, you know, at that time, um, I think it got into about 80 episodes, and definitely um, there was some support that was needed. And that's when I got brought in, you know, halfway through war room impeachment or something like that. Um, and then, you know, I, and, and I got brought on to not just, you know, produce the show, but, to, you know, really work for Steve and kind of, you know, do everything that he needed um, on, on, cam on camera, off camera. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that that's around December 2019, early January, you know, that's when the, the coronavirus uh, chatter, you know, he kind of, it, it was originally Jack Maxey, actually. Jack Maxey now is, is a name that's very relevant because of the work he's doing uh, out in Switzerland with sure. Hunter Biden laptop. But he was the one that originally identified the, the WeChats um that started talking about a SARS like outbreak uh in uh in China and Wuhan uh and from like taxi drivers, you know. And so he found that, sent that to Steve, and then Steve went and did his his research, talked to his people, uh and um then he found a very specific data point, you know, that uh I think Wuhan was, I think Wuhan was locked down and then Hubei province was locked down. And that's when, you know, Steve says, we're doing a show called War Room Pandemic, you know, and, and that's when, you know, I, uh, me, Raheem again had to, and Jack Maxey had to start kind of a new show overnight. Um, and I think maybe it was like seven to 10 days from the moment he announced it to the moment we, or the moment he wanted it to, 
the time of release. Um, but Hubei Pro once Hubei Province was locked down, he said, "This is it." And the reason being because Hubei Province is a province the size of France right. that has ninety million people in it. Uh, you know, it, it, trying to quarantine ninety million people at once never, never before attempted in world history. Yeah. You know, and so yeah, and so that was the huge blaring signal that whatever this was, it was going to be, um, you know, something massive, and that's that's the birth of war room pandemic, right there. And uh, you know, uh, I was you know one of the original producers on that, and uh, it was a grind. I mean, the 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 show kind of started a little slow um, in terms of you know, just kind of catching on because we released that show and impeachment. We were still in the middle of impeachment. The biggest right. story in the world at that time was still impeachment. <clears throat> January 25th, 2020 was the first episode of war and pandemic. So, you know, uh, it, it was kind of, you know, a little hard to get people to pay attention, but uh, eventually, you know, we, we called, we called the right shot and, you know, that's when that ball got rolling and, and then uh, it'd be, be kind of like the first initial crowd that really took to the, to the show were Wall Street traders um, because they felt like Steve was giving them information ahead of the curve that, uh, you know, the, their mainstream sources or whatever were not giving them. Uh, and so that, you know, that, that's kind, that was kind of the initial base of the show. Uh, and then it just, it, it blew up and then, you know, uh, and then in April, you know, there's the whole, um, the, the whole Wuhan whistleblower with Lee yep. Yang coming through, you know, uh, that was a huge point, uh, in, in the, in the show. Then there was, um, there, there, there's always these axiomatic moments when kind of the show, you know, takes off and a lot of content is like that. Uh, whether, you know, your shows, your podcasts, whatever you get, you never know when it's going to pop. And so, you know, that's, that was one moment. Then, you know, when Steve gets arrested on the boat, uh, you know, the day after the first broadcast, you know, after he gets out and he's back on the show, that was, you know, that, that was another moment. The, the audience took an uptick. Then, you know, the, the Hunter Biden laptop and, you know, because we were the only ones that were, covering it extensively um, that, you know, boosted the audience. And then on election night, uh, when Fox News called Arizona, uh, the, you know, viewership of our election night coverage took off. And that, you know, kind of was the start of the mass, mass audience that, that, um, you know, Steve uh, and the war room started producing. And right around that time, and about a month later is when I uh, departed, from from the war room and and, and that uh you know uh, it, it, i mean at that, that point the sh the show was rolling was such a big ball rolling so fast um it didn't need me and and so uh you know it's and it's still you know carrying on as one of the the largest most influential platforms for the right you know in the world so yeah just, uh, an, an incredible story an incredible story yeah, it sure is, and and definitely like you said, it's the gold standard for anybody that's in the conservative movement, more specifically the America First movement. If they want to be able to really amplify the voice of their platform 
and let, you know, potential voters and, and people across the country to get at least a preview of what, you know, they're going to be doing once they get inside the Beltway. I mean, obviously they can come places like this, but, I mean, you pretty much get the, the podcast streams, you know, three-plus hours a day on television, special editions whenever it's needed. It's just uh, it's turned into just like, you know, something that it's just part of the process now. You know, you go through all the things you have to do, and sure, you might go on Newsmax or Fox News or whatever or, you know, sit down with one of the more legacy podcasts that are broadcast and syndicated on radio. But if you want to get the message to the base, you go on Steve's show, and that just seems like it's the way it is now, at least moving forward. You have to go on, on Steve's show. Um, and look, if you look at it, you, you know, I would actually point this out, uh, as a case study, you know, I, I, know, I know you guys saw that uh, I got blocked by uh, Morgan Ortegas on, uh, on, uh, Twitter. Imagine that, you know, <laughs> and all I did was post a, a photo that she took and posted somewhere else and the words that she said, you know, or wrote down or whatever. That's all I did. Oh, you're lucky you didn't get banned from Twitter. And she 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 blocked me. Now I want to kind of like juxtapose this with um, Elise Stefanik. Uh, If you remember when when Elise was making her move to oust Cheney and get into House leadership, there were questions about you know uh, her, her voting record and whether. You know, she's the kind of like uh, America first person that that can, you know, carry on uh, the the president's agenda through the House, uh, you know. Um, and so what did you know, what did Elise do in order to kind of, you know, uh, at least quiet down those notions? Right. She went on War Room. Yep. Right. To kind of like, hey, look, I, I want to talk to you guys, uh, you know, in, in, on, in the MAGA basin and, and kind of like show you that or explain to you uh, that I'm, I'm about it. You know, I'm here to serve the agenda. Uh, I know what what the nation wants and that, that she would serve the larger body's agenda and and base. And, and uh, guess what? Nobody nobody asks those questions anymore. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so and now funny enough, Elise uh, endorsed uh, Morgan Ortegas as well. And, you know, uh, I'm sure that there's uh, lot, lots of reasons why that happened. Um, but uh, just the same way that that it happened with Trump. Um, but nonetheless, Elise's approach helped her brand with the MAGA, MAGA base, even if her voting record, may, you know, suggests that, you know, she's more liberal than Liz Cheney. Right. And so, but she was willing to, 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 to put her face to the base and say, Hey, look, you know, I, I'm about it. I'm here to serve you. And if you have any questions like through Steve, you know, channel it through Steve, I'm here to answer that. And, and look how that worked out. And Ortegas is doing exactly the opposite thing. She will not sort of face the, the critics or the base when the base says we don't trust you, you know? No, you're right. At least did go on there. And I think the thing you definitely are going to get when you go on a show like Steve's is you're going to get asked the hard questions. Even if he wants to say it's not coming from like, he doesn't have to necessarily just beat her down with it. He'll just be like, listen, the base is really concerned about this or like the president's agenda is trying to get this across and we don't see some support in the house. How do you respond to that? What are you doing to whip it? And, uh, no. 
you know, it's it's one of those things where, I mean, you're going to get your feet to the fire and you're not going to get out of there with just some cupcake interview when you go on that show. It's 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 one of the things that's been a, a staple since the beginning. And uh, you can see if, if there's people who are not on there and you wonder like, hey, I always see them on the news. They're really active on Twitter. They're talking about stuff in the in the politics. I just, there's a reason for that. It's usually because they don't want to go on there and uh, have to answer the difficult questions. Right, exactly. And that's that, you know, this is part of, you know, you're going to see this more and more. And, and it's funny, uh, you, you know, uh, do, you, do you guys, you know, Alex Brusowitz, the great rhino hunter, uh, he um, got into a beef with Dan Crenshaw, right? And Dan Crenshaw goes on some podcast or some radio show and says, you know, the people in D.C. who don't like me are the establishment. And he defines the establishment as influencers and podcasters, <laughs> you know, and, and, right. And so it's like, well, you know, then Giga Chad being like, I'm the influence. I'm the, look at me, I'm the establishment now, <laughs> you know, the podcaster and the influencer. And, and it's, and it's uh, very interesting. You know, I don't, I want to say that there's some truth to that going forward, but he you know, tried to paint it in a way where he's the anti-establishment guy. That's not true, right? It's, no. you know, there is, there is an anti-establishment establishment, and there's a reason for it, because there have to be keepers and people who vet everyone who comes into the movement and says that they're America first, they're America first. You, we've already seen that abused heavily, you know? And so it, it's, it is the duty of folks like Raheem Kassam, myself, Steve Bannon, you know, you guys, uh, and, and others like us to vet these people and to make sure that, like, you know, they have our approval because the, uh, if, if they don't, you know, that that's indirectly a spit in the face to the base as well. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not a thing. I'm not here if the, if the base didn't respect what I did or, or, or uh, believe what I did. Or, or, you know, believe when I say that I'm I'm America first, right? We have to, you you, you have to uh, walk the walk too. You can't just talk the talk. And folks like us have to make sure that these folks who come around and say, give us power uh, because we're America first and we're going to use that power to America first ends, you know, that they're not just talking the talk. You got to hold their feet to the fire and not just walk the walk. You guys got to dance, Mr. Crenshaw. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, yes, that has to happen. Well, Dan Cranshaw is just silly. He should worry more about how a, a complete non-political entity ran, like, essentially a six-week campaign to primary challenge him and garnered 21% of the vote in the primary, which, got him. you know, 69 to 21, or, or I'm sorry, 79 to 21 doesn't seem like all that much, but when it just comes out of nowhere, imagine if the guy had ran a campaign for like a year and had offices and a ground game and, you know, phone calls and was knocking on doors. I mean... It's just one of those things where we know he's extremely unpopular. His voting record is trash. He's probably the most voted for open borders in an open border state representative in the history of uh, modern politics. And Well, people are starting to see it now, and that's the good thing. Yeah, and then he's trashing, like, young uh, followers at, at town halls and, and telling people that anything to do with the presidential election in 2020 is fake news. It, it's, it's He's got enough to worry about on his end. I, don't, I think his time in... Uh, DC is short. He's been able to skate through again this time, but I, I definitely think after the success of the primary challenger he had, they'll probably, if they want to get 
him out of there, put somebody in there that's a little bit more qualified to uh, give him a run in two years. So well, he probably doesn't care. He's made enough money. He, he's second to what Nancy Pelosi or. Well, yeah, that and he, you know, he's got his show and he's written some books as well. So, but that's another thing. It's those special interests and, and things that have nothing to do with politics is what it's like the lifeblood that keeps these guys moving. Fish. So after War Room, shortly thereafter, you jumped on with uh, one of our favorite representatives up on Capitol Hill, Matt Gates, and you spent a lot of time with him uh, doing a whole bunch of different things behind the scene, including you know getting his podcast going and turning that into a ridiculous success what are some of the things you did while you were with matt and and what were those experiences like you know being someone who's like kind of a beltway insider but then actually literally going inside of capitol hill and 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 occupying a portion of his office Uh, i mean it's it it was just an incredible experience uh he is to date you know the best boss that i've ever had um and you know good friend of mine as well Uh, i mean he's just brilliant we're so lucky to have him um, you know, representing uh, the movement in Congress, you know, it's such a, a high level um, and, and in such a visible way, like, you, you know, you, we're blessed to have them. There's, there's not too many that are built like him in D.C. Um, I, you know, came on after um, uh, the initial allegations ha- had dropped, um, you know, maybe a month after. Uh, and the first things we did, we went on the America First rally tour. You know, that, that was a huge success. We had to uh, go help him get his voice back on, you know, with, with, with the people. Um, and, and plat- you know, so that was a, a, a method of platform. And so, you know, we, we went and, and did that. And, you know, I traveled across the country with him. Um, and we did the Free Britney uh, tour as well. That was That was amazing to go you know, into L.A., you know, the, the L.A. courthouse, and, and he gives this speech at the Free Britney rally. I mean, it was just, uh, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, it was just great. Uh, it, it, one of my favorite memories, for sure. Um, and then, you know, you know, on the ground, that's sort of like the, the method to get, get the voice back on the ground, but you also have to get your voice back through the air. And, you know, um, there was the Tucker... Carlson uh, interview and then after that you know never appeared on Fox News again and uh, and that you know that was his largest platform you yep. know he was there that's you know that that that's what got his voice to to the people and we had to figure find out how we can do that and that's when Firebrand was created right um, and you know I helped him sort of create that concept and then that was the director uh, Joel Valdez, uh, the executive producer over there. I mean, he's a magical talent. Uh, look out for him. Um, he's going to be one of the next, you know, guys like uh, like like myself and Raheem, who are going to make a difference. So uh, he was in that. We, you know, he was there to to help uh, be the executive producer and do all the, the magical stuff behind the scenes uh, with, with the footage and all that. Um, and his ideas and everything is just amazing. Uh, and then the whole office, you know, um, uh, Isabella uh, Belcher, Mike Robertson, uh, Callie, uh, Callie Close, um, Jillian. I mean, just everybody did that. Don, Don McArdle, everybody did their part um, and more. Uh, and, and the team is just so committed and loyal to the 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 to Matt, obviously, but to to making sure that that he's not just um, 
uh, abused by the deep state and the media and everything. And, and we really fought hard for that. And, and I think that now, if you look at him, he's on fire, Yeah, you know, like, so like, and it's been a year. Uh, and the only people who have gone to jail, uh, you know, in this whole saga are the ones he said, or, you know, at least one of the ones he said extorted his family, you know? And so this is, um, I'm, I'm so glad that, 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 you know, it's been a year now and, and, and that saga has at least shown to be a, some sort of farce, right? Like that's the, at, at the least, that's what it is. Um, and, uh, you know, at the worst, it's it, it could be an absolutely uh, appalling smear job that could have been coordinated by the government and, and corporate media interests. And God knows who else. And, and it's just it, it's sickening. And I'm, I'm so uh, honored and privileged to um, to have you know served him in his office and and serve the United States government and, and add my own contribution, you know, uh, turning a congressional office into you know uh, a, a studio to produce a sh uh, uh, an influential show that's not an easy thing but um you know we i, I helped make it happen and um i'm really proud of that it's my little sort of contribution to capitol hill history i guess and, and i'm gonna you know make that that claim that stake now um but yeah it's just just absolutely incredible experience he's brilliant He's, you know, my one of my best friends. Ginger is amazing as well. Just an absolute uh, gem of a human being. Like, I know God exists because he created Ginger. Let's <laughs> put it that way. So, yeah. Um, he gave us Ginger. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just, wow. You know, I, I hope that I can, I can really get into detail about how amazing that, that whole journey was with him. Um, one day, maybe in a book or something. You know, but I, that's kind of I kind of just ran through it with you guys. Uh, and obviously, you know, I helped them with uh, I, I, I helped there with a lot of stuff, um, you know, some committee stuff to, you know, the whole experience on Capitol Hill and in Congress. It's it's really eye opening to like what's necessary to uh, get something done in you know, in, in our government. It's just um for some kind of for some people it can be disheartening yep. um with how much you have to do but i think for me it, it gave me hope because once i can see it then you know you can do something about it that um that's kind of the approach on that that i'm taking i'm really glad i got that opportunity to serve him and to see that uh behind the scenes uh just incredible incredible yeah, I think the whole overall experience was just something, uh, like you said, it's almost uh, unexplainable just to be able to do it in words. Uh, you know, we've tracked Matt for years. We've definitely noticed over the course of the last little while his growth and maturing process has just been, you know, something amazing to watch before our eyes. He's become not only one of the leaders in the House, but, you know, maybe unofficially the leader of the House when it comes to the America First agenda. Uh, you see somebody who was just, you know, part of the Tea Party or part of the Freedom Caucus or, you know, someone you knew who really supported Donald Trump just a few years ago to literally, you know, having the Secretary of Defense, cabinet member of the United States on the ropes yesterday, uh, like Mike Tyson's punch out Oof. a couple days ago. I'm sorry, yeah. but uh, it's, it's just one of those things. And it's not like he's doing it 
to get talking points on television. He's doing it because those are some of the general concerns of not only the base, but I think now that we've been a year and a half into the Biden administration, an overwhelming majority of the American people feel. Um, go ahead. Well, you want people to ask those questions. I'm yeah. tired of seeing these people just get softballed. It's like, you know, you're not going to give them the Biden cheat sheet every time that we do an interview with anybody now. The mental because. one or the actual card? The actual card. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but you know, it, it, it's just it's it's just crazy to see because, uh, you know, his growth has been something, like I said, has been amazing to watch before our eyes, and he has really turned into one of the, the best leaders we have representation-wise up on Capitol Hill, and it's, it's awesome that you were able to experience a large part of that uh, growth process. And, you know, without saying it, we think that you, you probably had a portion to do with that because of just the way, you know, you're going and, and, and how you direct stuff when you, when you work in, like, your uh, business context, and you said you became great friends. One of the things you guys worked on exclusively yeah. as of late was uh, the Hunter Biden laptop. Um, yeah. Do you want to give our listenership a little bit onto your guys' deep dive into that? You know, it was pretty, uh, pretty awesome to see him drop the bad boy, the cloned hard drive on, on the, up on Capitol Hill a little over a week ago. And now, uh, you can give us some details on what's going on with, uh, that whole narrative. Yeah. So, um, you know, this, the, uh, the idea was kind of played with for a while, but you know, uh, what people forget is that the original Hunter Biden laptop was turned over back in December 2019 yep. by the laptop shop owner, right? And and I think this is a huge part of the story. And so, um, you know, we've been we were kind of playing around with the idea of how you know how do we get this this uh, laptop or at least a copy into the congressional record, and that's when um, you know the FBI Cyber Chief Committee hearing came up and. Uh, you know, I, look, I, I've, I've worked in tech and, you know, and I've worked in large businesses, large scale enterprises. You know, I know how the block and line charts, you know, go and all, and all the org charts go. There is no way that such a piece of evidence uh, would not have come under the purview of whoever the FBI cyber chief was. And that would have to be one of the top things on any cyber chief's plate is you know what's on the contents of the you know first family's laptop or the fir- the former first family you know uh, the former second family I don't know whatever you call it <laughs> a a a figure you know a forty year senator like you know you, the FBI is is you know going after grandmas for insurrection and like <laughs> you know they what you know they they have zero concern over. Uh, a laptop that belongs to the first family's, you know, the first, the first family's son, you know, or, you know, it's just, it, it's absurd. And so, you know, Matt came up with the line of questioning, you know, people, I don't know if people know, but he used to be an attorney, rather talented one. Mm-hmm. And you can, you could see that when he, you know, when he does his questioning, he's just, you know, again, we're so blessed to have, um, came up with the line of questioning, you know, based on just that, that one idea that the FBI had it before everybody else. And we, you know, the whole thing, this whole thing could have been handled by the FBI and it wouldn't have had to have been a, a Steve thing, a Rudy thing, a, you know, a me thing, a New York post thing. A, you know, none of this, this, this partisan nonsense would have went down if the FBI just did their job, Yep. you know, and they didn't. And so um, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think any anybody expected <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. that that he would 
straight up say, I don't know where it is. No. Right? Like, uh, that, I, I don't, you know, um, but in such a situation, which we thought was, I thought was just incredible watching it, uh, just a shock. Um, I think that uh, we, we just wanted to be prepared if he did say that. And Matt wanted to be prepared. And, he, you know, I made him a copy and I um, gave it to him. And he went and dropped it into the congressional record in that moment and just blew up the internet as usual, you know, and just, I think easily one of the most based moves in like United States political history, government history, whatever you want. Just total, just incredible. And one can only hope that there's somebody that that guy has pissed off in the past that has, you know, somehow he's added to the carbon copy list of the email chain where they're talking about it. And he's just going to be like, Hey, remember when you said this? Here's the receipts of you talking about it, asshole. Yeah. Well, I mean, people, uh, yeah. people, I mean, it's just go ahead. No, people have been dropping receipts on Jen Sacky all week, and she's just been deflecting. I mean, Peter Ducey, I think over the course well, she's, of the last, she can't get COVID again. No, I think second <laughs> time's a charm. But uh, I mean, he he was doing everything but reading verbatim the emails from the laptop talking about uh, James Biden and Joe Biden and Jill Biden and their proxy to this whole thing, whether it be like Chinese business dealings or interactions with Russia. And then, of course, all the stuff with Ukraine. And she's just like, oh, yeah, well, Hunter Biden doesn't work for the White House. He's not a a government figure. And uh, Joe Biden never, you know, got anything from any of this. And they're like, well, it literally says you need to leave office keys for office mate Joe and Joe Biden. So were they office mates? Regardless of what it says, they were never office mates. He's like, yeah, but I'm reading the exact line from the email where it says, please leave extra keys for Joe and Joe Biden because they're office mates. So you're saying they weren't office mates. She's like, no, they weren't office mates. He's like, but it's no. And and this is kind of the clown world we're in right now. You know, it's going to take getting into court and and some subpoenas to probably get to the bottom of a lot of this stuff. I I hope it's as bad as we all speculate. And, uh, you know, you guys have done an amazing (laughs) job bringing that up. Yeah, you know. Yeah, let me let me just say, uh, you know, there's so many heroes in this story that that you know really uh, deserve you know credit for for just this this thing coming out. Uh, obviously, the laptop shop owner, sure, uh, John John McIsaac's, uh, You know, then there's you know Steve and Rudy. I mean, myself, obviously, my contribution. People know well now. Jack Maxey. Um, uh, obviously what he's doing now and running with it. Um, and, you know, also, you know, throughout the course of this time, there have been so many people who have been popping stories about this thing. You know, obviously Emma Jo Morris, the first ones to put her name to that story in the New York Post that just, you know, blew everything up. Uh, Miranda Devine, obviously her work there. Raheem Kassam, lest we not forget, he was the one that found the audio recording that where, you know, Hunter Biden says that he was business partners with the spy chief of China, yep. you know, and the, and, you know, um, uh, some of the initial metabiota reporting that the Ukraine, the, the labs that we're talking about now that, you know, uh, some of that original reporting came from the national pulse and Natalie Winters and Raheem, you know, and, and obviously, um, you know, Jack had his own contributions to that as well, but these, you know, there there are so many people. Jack Posobiec was one of, you know, uh, the Tony Bobolinsky thing and, and, and Matthew Tierman. There's just so many people who contributed to this effort and are still contributing. And so although, you know, we should not forget, the, and even now Matt Gates and, and now the the House Judiciary Committee has their 
hands on it, you know, and, and God knows who else is going to get their hands on it. Um, but you know, that, um, you know, th- th- there's just, there's, there's so many Patriots that are, that are working to make this thing, you know, a public knowledge and, and, and to hold people accountable. And so that should give everybody hope. And I saw Andy Biggs was, uh, issue, trying to get a subpoena issued and on the house judiciary committee the other day, uh, to bring Hunter Biden in as a Ukrainian energy expert. So I thought that uh, was very interesting and kind of took everybody off guard. It, it, listen, the way he said it, it, it was it was pretty base and it was a huge troll, but, you know, they allowed it because uh, that was probably the last thing they were thinking about when they were in that committee <laughs> for that reason. Yeah, their, their, uh, their plan B cards of how do we react to things probably wasn't on there. No, no, and it'll be interesting to see if they can get him uh, up there at some point. I know eventually he's going to get drug in there and uh, – I'm sure it'll be quite a sight to see. You know, you keep mentioning Raheem. He's one of our favorite journalists. He's one of the most hardworking and probably most plagiarized man in the Beltway. Uh, you know, someone who came over after the Lexit movement got completely uh, scooped up in the in the whole America First thing, and now is it, he's actually like one of the fact checkers for America First. I think he's probably one of the strongest ones. Uh, you know, he's told us so many times that's that's just a phrase. It's all about policy. It's all about voting record. It's all about character. It's all about, you know, past experience with all these people. And anytime I feel like maybe our listenership or even ourselves, we get kind of swept up in the romance that is like what happens at a Donald Trump rally. He kind of brings us back down to earth and uh, gives us the logistics of it. And it's kind of been part of the muse that's helped me write the last two sub sacks I've done on some of the problems that's gone on with uh, and, and are ongoing in a Trump world right now. And I think, uh, you know, he's just turning out to be one of the gold standards in the, uh, in the conservative political movement. You guys are going to be working together a little bit exclusively now that you've moved over to Logan circle group. And, uh, yeah. you want you want to tell our listenership a little bit about that because I'm sure everyone's excited to hear what your next projects are going to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, even let's not forget through the, through the whole Gates saga. Yeah. You know, I, I was added to the team and, and definitely I helped, um, you know, Matt, uh, fight against the, you know, this absolutely disgusting smear campaign, but it you know, Logan circle group was also, um, a huge part of that. And Harlan Hill, um, you know, was a huge contributor, uh, in, in helping to strategize, uh, against, you know, this, you know, fighting against the deep state, uh, you know, and the corporate media, and so, you know, Logan Circle Group uh, looks great out of that. And, and now we've come together to, um, you know, create uh, Common Ground Studios. And, and it's essentially going to be a, a podcast network. And, and, you know, the first shows that, that we're, we're kind of, you know, ready to, you know, obviously Raheem already announced this. Uh, but the, the National Pulse podcast or the show or, you know, what, what we got cooking uh, is going to be one of the things to look out for very soon, and lots more. Uh, Raheem is is one of the the main uh, players in, in this whole thing, and and it's um, you know from a creative standpoint, advisory, editorial standpoint. I mean, he, I don't think people really appreciate like how talented he is, and and, and what he does. That's just such thankless work, um, and how brilliant he is. I mean, he's you know you say he's one our best fact checkers, you know, I kind of view him as one of our best assassins. Yeah. You know, he can slice, he can slice and dice a narrative like no other, you know, kind of like, like I, you know, I, I, the way I think of him is like freaking Deadpool. 
you know, <laughs> from the, you know, just super, so talented, you know, straight, straight killer. Um, and, and so, uh, so, you know, I, I, we're, we're, you'll, you'll be seeing that very soon over the next couple, couple of weeks. Um, uh, something on that front. And there's a lot more coming. Uh, I think that, that it's really important, you know, again, back to that point that, that Crenshaw, was trying to get Crenshaw was trying to make, you know, <laughs> of, you know, the establishment of podcasters and influencers. Well, you know what now, if, if that's the case, well, that should encourage folks that are listening right now to, you know, start podcasts and do this stuff and, and make their voices heard and platform others. And that's what, um, that's what we're doing at common ground studios is we want to platform uh, some of our best, most talented voices that you either have heard of or have not heard of and put um you know put them on the map and and you know give them a, a high quality platform right and so you, you know that's that's kind of, you know i've i've got you know i've done i've done it with war room and, um done it with firebrand and you know now i want to do it for the movement and i think that the, you know this team of of you know harlan hill and, and raheem Hassam, myself and alan betts uh which i think it's going to be um, something to, to look out for. I'm, I'm very blessed to have such a, a wonderful team um, to, to work with to make this a reality. So coming soon, you guys are going to see some cool stuff, I promise. Nice. Yeah, sounds like a pretty good group. Maybe even a, you know, political Avengers there. You, you want to say Fahim's Deadpool. Uh, we've got Harlan Hill and Fish now, so I might hear the Avengers theme playing in the background when it comes to uh, saving the conservative movement and then taking it to the next level moving forward. Vish, we want to be able to direct all our listenership to uh, not only follow you in your future endeavors, but follow you on social media and see everything that you've got going on. Uh, anywhere you want to give that, that you could direct our traffic, we're obviously going to live link it in the show description today. We'll cut up some of this interview and throw up some standalone clips so they can get a taste. Hopefully they're going to jump in and download the full show. But uh, what you got going on right now, it's uh, definitely something that our listenership wants to follow. So where can we find you? Uh, you Twitter is, is the best place to find me, at Vishbura. Uh, I have a getter at Vishpura, though I, I should be posting more there for sure. Um, and then uh, I just got on Truth Social at Vish, um, so um, you know, help help me build up that audience there. Uh, and I'm permanently banned from Facebook and Instagram, so don't. Oops. Oh wow, that's uh, unfortunate. We uh, we lost our seventh Twitter account earlier in the week. We appreciate the follow back already as we're, as we're trying to rebuild ours, but uh, it's just the nature of the business. If you don't operate in and around the front lines, then you're not really fighting the good fight. So as long as I have a, uh, well, if they don't get us on Instagram, <laughs> yeah, kids, cell phones numbers to use. I feel so dirty using like my child's <laughs> cell phone number <laughs> to verify my Twitter account, but you know what? That's just the way it is. Um, Vish, we're going to make sure that we get all this stuff out there. And then we always appreciate you coming on the show. We're looking forward to working with you at some point in the near future, even more collaboratively. And, uh, of course we're going to have you back because our listenership just loves it when you come on. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, I look forward to the next time we're, uh, working together, whether it's again on the camera or off the camera. Absolutely. This is the executive producer for common ground studio. It's Mr. Vish Burr. Thanks for joining us today on steak for breakfast. Thank you guys. I was good sitting down with Fish again, and uh, definitely a lot of gold information he gave us. Mm-hmm. We'll be looking forward to having him back at some point in the near future soon. He's become a great friend of the show and uh, a good friend offline as well. So someone that's really dialed into the movement right now. Unlike the current sitting president of the United States, 
What is he dialed into? I don't know. Let's jump into a little spicy pizza. State of the Union. No, that was two weeks ago. This week he was uh, talking about World War Three. Oh, good. Yeah, I, that, that's always good. Let's let's you know let's manifest that into being. Well, he was trying as hard as he possibly could <laughs> to do it. Let's hear it. Fight is far from over. Here's the point. This war could continue for a long time, mm-hmm. but the United States will continue to stand with Ukraine, the Ukrainian people, in the fight for freedom. And I just want you to know that. And by the way, if I got to go to war, I'm going with you guys. Uh, no, maybe. But he's going. It's like bringing Grandpa to war with you, and not like an actual war veteran Grandpa, like Grandpa in the electric hover round. You're talking about the poop your pants action figure that is Joe Biden. <laughs> so yeah, it was it's it's pretty scary to hear him uh, kind of play with this narrative, the way that he has the last couple of weeks. And uh, well, the the end of that one speech where he's like, "Go get him." It's like, well, we're not doing that yet? Question mark. <sighs> I don't know what the. Uh, Method is behind it, but one of the things that he's been doing more frequently after almost not talking about the 45th president for almost an entire year is bringing him up as part of every kind of speech or, or statement that he's given out now. Um, we all know that this current administration ripped down a lot of the Trump-era trade policies on day one and did tariffs and taxes and just re-regulated everything to essentially make America last when it comes to the ongoing trade war, especially with China. Um, He took some shots at the former president in the same speech. Let's hear him weigh in on uh, his angle on the trade narrative. I think a lot of my friends are registered Republicans living out there. They think that too. I mean, it's just so outrageous. That $2 trillion tax cut the last guy. What was his name? Anyway, the last guy. I forgot it. He never showed up for the inauguration. But anyway. But all kidding aside, I shouldn't kid. But that tax cut basically went to the top one-tenth of one percent of the American public. Okay, so that top ten of the top percent of the American public, those are all the people that he reline their pockets with during coronavirus. And I'm talking about Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. By, by essentially forcing everything in the world closed and the only places. All the you, big boxes. Yep. Target, Costco, Walmart, uh, you know, Amazon. It's just absolutely ridiculous, the, the double speak and, and spin that they put on this. However, and probably was what was the most important part of his speech, he was clear, he was decisive, and he was on point. You ready for this? Is it when he leaves the stage? Close. You know what it is, most people don't. To ensure that we rebuild America, we upheld a promise. A promise. You get all that? Whoa. What? It was like Did they say something about conservatives? Yeah, I don't know. Conservatives are going to save America. They promise. Yeah, I just, <laughs> he gets so excited and then, you know, he starts getting the drool on the side of his mouth and the meds aren't doing what they're supposed to do, and it's just one of those things that you Maybe can't. somebody accidentally hit the gas pedal on the old teleprompter speed, <laughs> and he was just trying to keep up. He's just got the first uh, 
first syllable of each word. Extremely uh, sad to see the cognitive decline of the leader of the free world right now. And, you know, this is all stemming. We're not going to cover him walking around aimlessly after the Obama press conference, which, believe it or not. So awkward. He was, like, trying to give him the Vulcan death grip, too, or something. It's now receiving fact checks by Reuters. Oh, that it didn't happen? That he he wasn't lost. It said that he was eventually looking for uh, some lady that he eventually caught up with, but it was, like, 26 later 26 seconds later than the 13 seconds of him spinning around, not knowing where to go, after Barack kind of gave him the cold shoulder. Yeah, I feel like if the president of the United States, even if he was your former vice president, if he gives you the old shoulder squeeze, probably, maybe. Yeah, at least acknowledge him a little Be like, uh, Joe, give me a second. I'm going to finish talking with these people here. Uh, Maybe you can find Mike. I mean, Michelle. Mm. Maybe she'll help you out. Big Picky kayaking? Big, big, big Mike. <laughs> yeah, it's a, the fact check actually said, like, uh, you know, to contrary what Republicans might try and be trying to spin in regards to Joe Biden and cognitive decline, he was, all caps underlined, not lost after speaking at a press conference at the White House the other day. However, it was confirmed that he was looking for so-and-so, which he eventually located and then went to talk to. I have seen... That exact literal insert this, all caps not, blah, 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 insert the tail end of that. That's just a fucking... Haven't we gotten to the point where these these fact checkers are not fact checking? No. It is proven to be opinion based. Why is it even still a thing? Oh, that's right, because... The megalomaniacs that run Facebook and Instagram and all the other shit. Don't forget Twitter and Twitter, especially. They're the ones who put them in put them in power. Yeah. Well, Ted Cruz jumped on Fox News the other day to talk about uh, some of the things going on with Joe Biden and some of the things that aren't. One of them, and something he campaigned heavily on, was being a good negotiator and someone who practiced bipartisanship, and. Uh, it's becoming evidently clear now that more people are talking about it that Joe Biden's not even allowed to speak to other members from the other side of the aisle. And Ted Cruz gave us a little insight. Let's hear it. Look, it's it's gaff after gaff after gaff, and and the White House team desperately tries to keep. Is it a gaff or is scrutiny. he is he in a cognitive decline? It seems look, to me obvious. Yeah, look, he's clearly in major decline. I can tell you, it's strange. Biden, they don't allow him to talk to most Republican senators. When when we have lunch together, Republican senators, almost to a person, none of us have spoken to him since he became president. That's weird. Look, Joe Biden swore me into office 10 years ago. We all know him. He, He served in the Senate for four decades. But the White House is terrified that anyone who interacts with him realizes he's not up to the task. So they keep him protected. They keep him on talking points. They give him a narrow script. And even that... He screws up. Well, what do you think? Look, Pretty disturbing. Yeah. To say the least. I mean, they'll be eating in the same, you know, room at the at wherever they're having an event and doing a luncheon or something after a speaking event. And if some members of Congress from the other side of the aisle, whether they support it or not, just, you know, kind of show up as part of their duty, then they can't even get close to them. Yeah, they got their the handlers like, okay, everybody, let's go. Everybody get the fuck out. It's like, hey, I'm eating my fucking lunch. Remember, I don't care. Ron Klain was stumping on his mental fitness the other day. Mm. We all know know how well that's gone over for him. There were members of the House who uh, 
jumped onto the floor the other day to talk about some of the things going on. It was stemming after the end of the uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson hearings in addition to some other things that Joe Biden had touched on lately. And, and you know, it was kind of like a stumpathon. They were kind of pointing out that message and, and driving it home for the American public to hear. Uh, I caught a couple of them, Jim Jordan and Matt Gates, and then, believe it or not, Kevin McCarthy was, at, was actually doing his job for once and upholding the uh, the line in the House. But uh, we'll hear Jordan first and, and, and see what he's kind of weighing in on. To pack the court, this committee, the January 6th committee, altered evidence and presented to the American people as if it were true. And they accuse us of being a danger to our democracy? Mr. Gates was right. We got a border that is complete chaos. We have $6 gas in California, $4 gas everywhere else in the country. Mm. We have crime at record levels in every major urban area in this nation. And we have an inflation problem that's at a 40-year high. And this committee has more contempt resolutions for a purely political reason. I think the whole committee is purely political. Designed to do one thing, keep President Trump off the ballot in 2024. And he's referencing some of the things in, regarding January 6th. And uh, keeping that whole narrative alive in an attempt to, like he said, prevent Donald Trump from appearing on the ballot if he's charged and eventually convicted with something, which I don't see it ever happening, but who knows at this pace. He referenced uh, Representative Matt Gates, who, you know, uh, we talked with Fish about how his maturing process has gone on. He he lit up Secretary uh, Lloyd Austin the other day in a House committee hearing, and then when he took to the floor, he, he hit on some of the big stumps parts of uh, the important platform going on in the country right now. Let's hear it. The border has become a turnstile. Inflation Facts. is crushing our fellow Americans. And here we are, back on the floor of the House, reliving January 6th. Some of the members of the January 6th committee come from the swamps of Washington, D.C. I come from the swamps of Florida, and I know alligator tears when I see them. And yet oh. we are lectured about performing for the f former president. The reason Scavino and Navarro shouldn't be held in contempt yep. is that the January 6th committee itself is so performative, illegitimate, unconstitutional, kicking off the Republicans that Leader McCarthy sent to serve on the committee. You know, the, we were accused by the majority leader of having our party hijacked. Our party is ascendant, and time is on our side, because when we take the majority back, this nonsense will come to an end. It's baffling to me that Democrats are so eager to conduct oversight over the last administration that is out of power, but it's hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil when it comes to the Biden administration. They're more worried about Trump's trade advisor than Joe Biden's son trading influence for foreign money. They're more worried about Trump's deputy chief of staff than deputizing the right folks to secure America's border. The January 6th committee is a sham. And if you took the position of the committee legally, no president would ever have privilege that would extend beyond the life of that presidency. And so no president would have the ability to have candid conversations with staff and advisors that might not immediately come back to bite them the moment they left the Oval Office. The American people see this for the partisan exercise that it is. Yep. Probably some folks at the Justice Department even see that it's a partisan exercise because not all these contempt citations are well received at the Justice Department right now. And this contempt referral should similarly be ignored and rejected and uh, certainly is a stain on this house. I you, you know, it's... It, it's
Who's ever writing Matt's speeches right now is kind of on fire. Mm-hmm. At, at least the talking points, because he's hitting them home. He's, he's always been a good speaker, but the way he's been able to put stuff together over the last year, like I said, his growth and maturity has just absolutely astounded me. And, you know, getting back to this whole January 6th narrative, which, you know, some of these guys were, were stumping on in regards to Scavino and Navarro being the House voted a resolution to hold them in contempt for not giving up, you know, due to presidential privilege and stuff like that. But as we were talking about offline, and and we'll probably be discussing with Daniel Bostic later, uh, you know, there are some verdicts coming down in the uh, Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping Fed Surrection prequel movie. <laughs> Kidnapping. And, it's like a bad movie. Yeah. So, so It's literally the plot of a bad movie. The two main defendants were found not guilty on charges r- related to that. And then all of the other defendants are jury is deadlocked. So it looks like it's going to be acquitted. So even though there was, you know, probably some nefarious stuff that went on there, whether it be like illegal guns or, or some of the stuff that they may have talked about over beers, it looks like the actual planning and logistics came from. I don't know, the 11 or 12 FBI plants that were in on that operation. And uh, I kind of feel in my heart of hearts that that narrative hopefully spills over into the January 6th committee and then moving on from there after the midterm elections, we just get rid of that whole fucking bullshit apparatus that it is. Kevin McCarthy took to the floor to follow up on those guys. He spoke last and uh, was kind of on fire. I, I was a little surprised. Let's hear it. Today's resolution is about criminalizing dissent. Democrats are threatening to throw in jail a good man who has done nothing but attempt to follow the law simply because he's President Trump's closest aide. Talking about Scavino. Mr. Scavino does not deserve that. He tried to cooperate with the select committee's request. He sent timely letters to the committee to clarify the vague scope of the requested testimony. He even offered to answer the committee's questions in writing, which the committee's rules allow for, so he could balance cooperation with fair concerns about executive privilege. But the committee rejected every compromise. It's their way or no way. It took them two months to reply to Mr. Scavino's letter, then another six weeks. Then they rushed to hold him in contempt? They also demanded the right to ask any question they wanted, including on the topics that have nothing to do with protecting the Capitol, like the 25th Amendment. Even if you agree with the select committee has a legislative purpose, the fact is that purpose is not unlimited. The committee must identify a specific nexus between its legislative purpose and the information it wants. But it never identified the nexus for the information it was seeking from Mr. Scavino. And I bet it won't identify that nexus today either. Why? Because the nexus does not exist. Without it, the subpoena is invalid. Congressional oversight is supposed to inform the legislative process. It must have a valid legislative purpose. It's not there so the swamp can bully its political enemies. Let's be honest, Mr. Scavino never acted like he was above the law, and anyone who says otherwise is wrong. 
If anyone has acted like they're above the law, it's the select committee. Mm. Mr. Speaker, as I said earlier, two wrongs don't make a right. The riot on January 6th was wrong. But Democrats' reaction to trample American civil liberties is also wrong. Do we really want to live in a country where politicians can seize your phone records, compel your testimony, and ignore your rights because they disagree with your politics? Nope. Most Americans don't want to live in a country like that. That happens in Russia, in communist China, in North Korea, and it should never happen in America. But Mr. Speaker, under one party rule, it is. But to all Americans, when we take back the House, it will stop. I yield back. Okay. Yeah. Solid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Peter Navarro has been working in and out of government for decades. Dan Scavino came in and went with Trump. He'll obviously come back with him eventually. But the fact of the matter is, is that for someone who hasn't really been in the arena, um, like a person like Dan Scavino is, it's, it's just absolutely ridiculous what they're trying to do to him right now. And I'm sure it's probably keeping him up at night to have to go through this bullshit. Um, we do have to remember back things with like Eric Holder when he was actually held in contempt of Congress. It did take four years to get to a deposition. So you would think at the very least, a lot of the stuff's going to get dropped after we retake the power in the house after the midterms. But still, why are we wasting government time and money on shit like this when the rest of the world is literally on fire? Yep. Tucky weighed in circling back to Joe Biden. Um, and the fact that nobody really likes him. Joe Biden? Yeah. Yeah? And uh, I mean, didn't look like Barack likes him very much. Or even, no. Yeah. He's already encouraged him not to run so many times and then told everybody if he ever became president, he's going to fuck everything up. So prophecy fulfilled. So Nostradamus. Yeah, there you go. Nostra, Nostra Obamas? Nostra dumbass. Let's hear Nostra Tucky. He's an adult. It's glorious. <laughs> Well, half true. Biden is certainly an adult. He'll be 80 this fall. But no one in Washington thinks the Biden presidency is glorious anymore. They think it's a disaster. Polls show that voters strongly agree. Joe Biden is now the most unpopular person in virtually any room he enters. (laughs) If you doubt it, watch this. This was the scene at the White House today. Take a careful look at this. You've never seen anything like it. That's the president of the United States in his own house, shunned. Nobody would talk to him. So Biden wandered off looking vacant as a crowd formed around a former president, Barack Obama, who was obviously deeply grateful for the attention. Who people and then it got liked. worse. It got much more poignant than that. Watch Biden try to horn in on the conversation swirling around Obama. Everyone involved in that conversation, including Kamala Harris, who supposedly works for Biden, ignored Biden completely. Biden desperately tried to get Obama's attention. He puts his hand on Obama's shoulder. He even calls him Barack, like they're friends. But Obama blows him off. He acts like Biden's not even there. Ask yourself if you have ever in your life seen anything sadder than this.
hard shoulder squeeze, too. It was like extra, extra long shoulder oh, squeeze. Make it stop. It's awful. Now, it's true that Barack Obama has never liked Joe Biden. For the eight years they worked together, Obama mocked him relentlessly as an old white guy. He did his best to keep Biden at the periphery. That's why he got the Ukraine account, fatefully. But even someone as arrogant as Barack Obama can pretend if he has to pretend. And that's the point of the video we just showed you. Obama no longer has to pretend. He can tell the world in the clearest possible terms that he no, has no respect for Joe Biden, because at this point, nobody has respect for Joe Biden. Facts. Yeah, it was uh, on a very smaller scale, but large enough for the world to see that disconnect right now between apparently everybody and Joe Biden. So, <laughs> just like when when somebody says awkward, like that was just the most lost, out of touch, just. Well, I mean, there was a touch, but. <laughs> hey, uh, Brock. I'm dying over here. Come on. There was a few things that came out of that that I wanted to touch on because we have only have limited time left with her, Jen Psaki. Mm. And uh, one of the things was those comments Joe Biden made about World War Three, and going in with the troops. <laughs> What? <laughs> All right, let's hear it, Masker. Um, the president today, as he was talking about his vow to stand by Ukrainians, added a line, and by the way, if I've got to go to war, I'm going with you guys. Can you clarify what that meant? He has no intention of sending boot troops to the ground or fighting a war. Uh, between uh, with the U U.S. forces against Russia, that was a reflection of his long love for uh, labor unions oh, and members of labor unions the and the building and up. trades workers who were there and people that he would always love to be in the foxhole with. Not an indication of a change in U.S. Shut up. So we're in foxholes with the unions now. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. She has got to be so fucking relieved that she's on her way out mm -hmm. because this is embarrassing. Oh, after that event and those those gaff-filled comments just the day before, it was like... She's just like, you know what? Can I just leave early? Just put me down for sick leave. And you know who was going to get hit up with the questions besides her was going to be the uh, Skeletor-like face of the mm. Democratic House, Nancy Pelosi? Guess what? Insert old reliable. Nancy Pelosi contracted COVID. Again? Yeah. Well, I don't know if she's had it before, but she has it now. Oh. So there's a lot of... Uh, Did she get it from her expensive ice cream? Apparently she got it at the event with Barack Obama Ooh. and Joe Biden. And uh, since there was no masks and social distancing, even though they keep saying COVID's coming back and Dr. Fauci just got a fourth booster, sh a fourth shot. Maybe another... she got it from Big Mike's kayak. <sighs> Let's hear what uh, Jen Psaki has to say when she's asked about Nancy Pelosi's COVIDness was not a close contact with Speaker Pelosi when there is video of the Speaker kissing him. Well, Peter, the way that it is defined mm. is by the oh. Center for Disease Control, oh. the CDC, and their definition of it is 15 minutes oh. of, of contact within a set period of time uh, and within six feet. 15, uh, it 15 did minutes not meet of kissing? That bar. It does not mean that... Uh, that no one will get COVID around the world who does not have a close contact. It just means we are defining for all of you 
uh, whether the president and their interaction met the definition of the CDC of a close contact. Half the cabinet was there on Tuesday. At least two additional cabinet members, Raimondo and Garland, already have COVID. Is there a threat that this is going to be a national security problem if the, if the cabinet comes to the White House and starts getting infected with COVID? Well, I don't think, Peter, we can assess where they where they got COVID or where, where they uh, where they acquired COVID or whatever the right way to say that is. You know. uh, I don't know that it was Tuesday. There are You've other events, enough. obviously, that have ah. happened over the course of the last week as well. Uh, they are all boosted. Uh, they are all, uh, many those, of them are able boosters to work are working from great. home, as many uh, staff and even reporters are uh, who are who are vaccinated <laughs> and boosted. Uh, and they all have a, a talented and experienced team who is stepping into their shoes where needed in the office. Stop it. All right. So let's go back to the CDC guidelines okay. from the old Fouchter, I would assume. I'm feeling you, you've pulled them up. No. About are you talking about my the fifteen minutes of of close proximity? My guidelines. Yeah. So, literally, the whole reason for wearing the masks okay. at one point was to stop saliva transmission while people are talking. Okay. So we're gonna say that the kiss of death. <laughs> the kiss is okay. She has to harvest a little soul as, from everybody. As long as they weren't together for 15 minutes. So I could literally just walk up to you, lick your face. And as long as we don't spend 15 minutes doing it, we're good to go. Might be spending longer than that if you lick my face. <laughs> no, you're right. And it's... I don't know what that means. <laughs> Are we still talking about Big Mike? I don't know. Okay. I'm scared. Oh, scissor me timbers. You just went through two of Saki's worst clips ever and you give it to me? Yep. Fine. Don't worry, we've got more for later. Mm. I don't know even how to report on it anymore. It's just like I could make up material not as good as the stuff we're getting on a weekly basis. <laughs> I mean. You might as well. Everybody else does. You've got Joe Biden saying he is physically going to participate in World War Three with <laughs> you when we all go. The mascot. Then he strings together a whole bunch of those sounds over the course of like 12 seconds. That's that's not even words. Ted Cruz says no one's allowed to talk to him. You've got everybody on the House floor giving fire speeches but wasting time and taxpayer dollars over something stupid like January 6th. Tucker confirms that everybody hates Joe Biden. And then Jen Psaki tries to, uh, you know, skirt away from the issue of, of COVID and what could be Joe Biden's impending death if he catches it because he is at the age and definitely at the risk. Um so, you know, we, we had reported earlier in the year that one of the reasons Joe Biden doesn't travel very far outside of those major ones in Europe and back and forth to Delaware is because his internal staff is terrified that he's going to catch COVID. Oh, I thought you meant his internal clock. It's, you know, nap time all the time. Mm. It's more of like an internal pacemaker now. Ooh. There you go. But um, enough of this. We're going to yeah, lively enough. up our spirits now when we're going to have two amazing guests coming in to join us. Uh, of the same family, and definitely part of one movement. It's going to be one of our favorite America First candidates and his lovely wife, Robbie and Landon Starbuck, are jumping in right now. Let's let them key up. All right, joining us next today, it's one of our favorite America First candidates, and he's joined by none other than his most supportive sponsor and wife, Mr. and Mrs. Robbie and Landon Starbuck. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks for having us, oh, guys. Thanks for having us. Oh, no, it's our pleasure. Robbie, you're coming back with us again. Definitely one of our audience's favorites. We've been 
part of your day one founders group campaign of supporters here on Steak for Breakfast. We love your campaign. We love your agenda, how you're out there working hard. And there's a huge component to that um, that a lot of people see on social media, uh, that people have seen at probably speaking events and stuff like that. But our listenership hasn't heard enough. What? And that's your better half. Unfortunately, I have to say it definitely is. Landon, you've been such a driving force in this movement with Robbie. There's been a lot of stuff going on with his campaign. He's kind of got over so many hurdles already, and you're not even into the primaries. Can you talk about how this whole experience has been for your family? There's a spiritual component of it. There's probably like a stress on the family component of it. And uh, give our listenership a little insight into what goes on during these campaigns and how you've been able to... uh, you know, be that rock that uh, Robbie's used to propel himself to such success so far. Oh, well, thank you so much for recognizing um, that this is a family effort for sure. And, um, you know, it does take everybody being on the same page and, and be willing to come together as a family to recognize that this isn't just an election. You know, this is the fight for our country. This is the fight for our children's futures. Um, this is the fight against Marxism and this evil uh, takeover. And uh, we see that for what it is, and we instill that truth um, and that fight in our children. And um, even, you know, even as young as my littlest five, you know, she comes with us everywhere, and she just thinks that we fight for freedom. That's all she knows. Um, And this is something that has affected us, and, you know, it definitely has been difficult. Uh, It's not easy. It's not an easy journey. But it's one of those things that life doesn't get easier. You just get stronger. And so as you get to that next phase of life, whatever it's calling on you, you know, refining you spiritually, emotionally, physically, you just learn to get stronger. And so uh, that's what we've done. We've just become stronger through all of these um, difficult challenges. And I think that it's uh, making my kids more resilient. Um, and that's a, that's a great thing as a parent to know that if something, you know, God forbid ever happened to Robbie and I, that they would take this torch on because they recognize uh, what is at stake? Yeah, just that whole level of awareness is pretty, uh, you know, amazing for you to uh, be able to lay on your children and them for to be able to recognize it, I think. Um, you know, it's one of those things where the amount of stuff that's been thrown your guys' way, it's like we talk about, you know, 400-plus members of the House, and then you have, like, one, this one obscure House seat in Tennessee that seems to be one of the focal points of the entire midterm election – What's it been like, Robbie, trying to, you know, have all of these things uh, come your way and then you just to stay on message? I mean, honestly, this is definitely what you believe in. It, do you guys feel reaffirmed that you're in the right place to see all of these challenges come your way and then you guys be able to clear it and move forward with, uh, you know, getting out there what you intend to do? Oh, absolutely. Honestly, I relish the fact that it, this has come with as many arrows as it's come with because, you know, I think people need to see from the, the people who are telling them, oh, you need to vote for me for this reason or that reason. They need to see how many arrows those people are willing to take for them and what they're willing to be put through. And I think that we've we've done a pretty good job of letting people know that we're willing to do just about anything to, to fight for them. And I think that that's something that you don't normally get to see in a congressional race. And so seeing as well, you know, I think one of the most satisfying things for me that really reaffirms to me that we're doing the right thing is how far the establishment has gone to try to stop us. That's what's pretty amazing because, I mean, at this point, it's so blatant that there's no there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no mistaking what they're doing. I mean, they've tried on the federal level, on the state level, on so many different um, you know key points of a campaign to try to trip us up on technicalities and say, oh, well, you can't run. And they're still doing it now, you know? And so 
it's just an interesting thing to see that, but it reaffirms that we're absolutely doing the right thing because if we weren't, then the establishment would not be behaving like this. Yeah, and it, it's it's really interesting to see that kind of blowback. I don't, you know, you guys gave up a lot to join the America First movement, and Robbie, we've talked about it on, on prior shows all the way back from you, you know, having like your walkaway moment with your outward support of President Trump, and you just knowing in your heart that that was some of the better moves for this country, uh, all the way up to now when you see some of these establishment roadblocks coming from, uh, you know, conservative ink up in the beltway, uh, everything from candidates to, to voter law technicalities and stuff like that, residency, you name it, it's been thrown at you guys. And uh, it's pretty funny. You know, we joke about it on the show all the time. We've talked about it with a couple other guests. I've only been scoffed at one time in, in the two-plus years that we've been doing this, and it was shortly after our first uh, interview with you over a year ago when uh, we had on a fairly large name in, in uh, political representation. And, and you know, we were, we were trading candidates back and forth, some of the more mainstream ones, but then when I kind of got into it, this was before Joe Kent picked up any steam, before Mike Collins picked up any steam, and then you, you know, three of the ones who we, we consider the absolute reals uh, in this game right here. And uh, they actually scoffed and said, like, oh, Robbie Starbuck, like, is that guy even going to be able to be on the ballot? And I said, yes. Well, well how do you know? Well, he told me he probably knows what's going on in his district. I think legally he knows everything that's going on with this. And, uh, you know, it's going to have to go through certain things, but he's fairly certain that he's going to be okay. And he's like, I wish I would have bet the guy 20 bucks because it would have been <laughs> someone that worked in the original Trump campaign that would have oh, had to yeah. pay us 20 bucks. I would have framed it and threw it up on the wall. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those <laughs> things to see that uh, it, it's strange to me, uh, you know, and, and we just did kind of a deep dive. We talked to a D.C. insider over the course of the last two weeks and got some some really interesting facts that's going on in the inner circle down at Mar-a-Lago. Um, you know, and without the president's knowledge of, you know, things that go with endorsements and pay for play and, and all this other stuff. And it kind of painted a clearer picture of just what it is. And, and it comes to like votes and committees and things like that once once the midterm elections are over. But, you know, to see you guys get past all of these hurdles and and come out clean, even though it does probably take a toll on you guys and your family, uh, you know, is just an amazing thing to watch. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, I mean. Again, I think it's really a testament to just the fact that it's not about me, you know, and I think you know that with with Joe, with with the America First candidates like us, it's not about us. The, it's about the fact that we represent something that has been attacked by Washington, D.C. and by the establishment for so long and that we're just unwilling to cower down to the system and kiss the ring. And that's ultimately what they want. They want you to kiss the ring and, you know, essentially be McCarthy's pet in, in <laughs> Congress. And that's just not something I'm, I'm willing to do, you know, Um we're going to vote together on many different things because he's a Republican. I'm a Republican, but I'm just, I'm not going to be one of those people that says, Oh, I'm going to be an automatic yes vote for whatever leadership says. Um, and I think that that means something to people to know that like you're willing to take arrows in DC to do the will of the people here, because ultimately nobody in DC, and it's not just to pick on McCarthy. It's nobody in DC is being elected by district five, except for me. And so my job is to represent them. And I think that that's something that, you know, I take very seriously because that's that's exactly what our founders intended from us is that we we do that job and we do it with the you know sort of foresight that we've got to fight for those people who put us here. Yeah, you guys did a fairly big event recently with uh, Rand Paul. There was a couple others there. I believe Amanda Milius, she spoke highly of you when she was on our show last Friday as some of the you know, key figures that are in this race for the right reasons and, and one that's, you know, she's hitching her wagon to as well. She's got a pretty big influencer reach when, uh, you know, you talk about people that she's connected with. There isn't 
anybody from the prior administration when, when Trump was in office that she doesn't have dirt on while she, you know, held the flag for the uh, the America First agenda down at the State Department. How was that event uh, finally getting, you know, one of those under your belts? And, and, and what can you say to the kind of reception you got when you, uh, you know, were able to go and participate in it? Well, it was amazing. You know, I mean, just from the standpoint of having somebody like Senator Paul support me is yeah. huge because my very first like foray into politics was um, I was a huge Ron Paul supporter and when he ran for president. And so that was something that really got me deeply involved in politics in the first place. And so to have Rand's support is huge because just like in terms of fight and policy and everything, we're just we're so on the same page about so many things that um, it means a lot to me. And it reaffirms that, again, we're doing the right things. And um, I think that, you know, the support of him and people like even Dr. Gorka, he was yeah. there, too. He's, I mean, just a champion for the things that we believe in. And so. I couldn't be more grateful. And Amanda's just a rock star. I mean, everybody loves Amanda for good reason. She's just, she's epic and she's hilarious. So, um, you know, more than anything though, the one thing, the commonality we all have is we have fighting spirits. None of us are going to give up. We're all going to fight to the death for what we believe in. And I think that that's something you can't buy. You can't, you can't, you can't do anything to sort of like create. It's just there or it's not. And all of us have that. Sure. Yeah. Amanda, absolutely. 86th Morgan Ortega's on our show <laughs> and uh you know and it had nothing to even do with your campaign she talked about like actual receipts she had from her at the state department like she'd go up to the oval office to talk policy and she'd come back and just throw the president and his whole family underneath the bus and then talk to all of the junior staffers there about how they're not going to do exactly what he told her that they needed to get done and it's one of those things where uh you know we got some really good receipts from that it was a great interview we shared them all on social media and within just about an hour of uploading them all, our, our seventh Twitter account was gone. So pretty safe to wow. say she was over the target, especially since she said when she first went outward and, and public about trouncing Morgan Ortega to even think about getting in this race and, and thought it was completely ignorant for her to get a Donald Trump endorsement, um, you know, uh, her people were calling uh, AMDC Films and saying, listen, if you guys don't stop trashing this girl on the Internet – we're going to take everything that Amanda does moving forward and uh, all of her, you know, documentaries that are up already. And we're going to demonetize them. And Amanda was like, yeah, good luck with that. Like, do you know who I am? Do you know who my dad is? Like, we don't care about money. We'll always find a way to get that stuff out there. Insane. So, uh, it's insane. It just shows you the level of desperation. Yeah. I will say in general, I've sort of had a policy of um, not talking about candidates who are polling um, lower than, than third. And, and in this case, I'll make a slight exception, um, even though that's where she's at. I just think it's insane what they did to try to shut people up. I mean, it's it's that's not how this is supposed to work, you know. No, and I think it's disgusting. You know, it's one of those things that I just I can't fathom. You know, treating people like that because they disagree with you. You know, I mean, there's people who won't vote for me, and I'm I'm not going to block them. I'm not going <laughs> to attack them for their view. It's just you got to you got to live with it and be a big boy or big girl. And I think that that's something. It's it's really sad that some people are at that place where they feel they need to go to those lengths. Sure. No, I 100% agree with you. Yeah, that's definitely the operating system of not our team. No, no, it's the it's the antithesis of the America First movement. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's shown its true colors, not only in this race, but a couple other ones. Landon, I want to touch with you. I know you mentioned, like, the attack on the children uh, at the top. And, and, and this is one of the things that, that's built directly into Robbie's campaign. Uh, what are some of the things that you see and, and how are you help you know, him work through, get that clear message out there about how important it is that our children are not being exposed to certain things uh, that are getting thrown from every direction, uh, from school boards, you know, government mandates and stuff like that. And uh, what's that been like kind of helping to like, you know, shape part of his campaign platform? 
Right. Well, I mean, this is something we've both been passionate about for a long time, and we've seen this train coming down the tracks a long time ago. Uh, and we've we've warned people, uh, and I, it, my advocacy over 10 years, um, and just speaking about this radical sex ed as the mechanism and vehicle from which this Marxist agenda gets through. And it's, you know, the, the, the underlying uh, theme here is that they, they actually believe that children are sexual from birth. And it comes from this sick, depraved uh, sexual rights agenda, Marxist agenda coming, you know, from the global uh, institutions and pouring out of academia and trickling down into the schools um, via the federal mandated standards of education and frameworks. And, um, and so it, it really requires a radical response because this is so far uh, removed from anything we thought possible. And so now that it's here, uh, we have to decide, you know, how we're going to respond. And, you know, hot takes on the Internet are not going to be the radical response required. And, you know, I, I advocate for, for parents pulling their kids from these schools if they're not willing to fight like hell at the school boards, if they're not willing to do the work to, to stand there and, and main, you know, demand that this, this stuff gets pulled out of these schools. Um, sadly, all the good teachers that are against this have been iced out. Kind of the same thing that's happening in the po political realm. Um, and so this is a, this is war on children on so many levels. And then we see it coming from the corporate angle. So it's coming from every angle because children are the prize here. They know if they can get to them, they can sexualize them. They can destroy innocence that they can then, uh, basically put that Marxist agenda, uh, and, and, and shape the outcomes in the next generation. Yeah. It's, it, it's so interesting how fast this stuff is upticked. You know, we, we, it seems like. Less than a decade ago, the, the whole like this wouldn't have even been a conversation. Yeah, there there was like some debates. They were so and and then like the overall population that this necessarily affects or or is represented by is less than a fraction of a percent nationwide, and to have it just crammed down kids' throats. We talked about it uh, with the last couple guests we've had on. I saw a poll that was taken in just one school district in Texas. Uh, this was about two weeks ago, and they did their whole like trans sex ed rollout thing. And j just a straw poll, you know, of, of kids that, that were elementary school age. So 43%, and I'm air quoting here and rolling my eyes, identified as transgender after being super saturated with this stuff for just a mm -hmm. week. You know, and it's one of those things that's horrifying to me as a parent, uh, you know, as a voter. And uh, just like, you know, th there's so much more of a component than just like the educational sense or awareness of it, which... Kids should never be exposed to it at that age anyway, but there's also a huge spiritual component. We know you guys, you know, are an extremely spiritual family. You guys definitely rely on on, on God to guys kind of guide you guys down the road and, and help make your decisions. What do you think is the this attack on children and trying to, like, you know, influence the entire generation of youth right now? What's the spiritual component in that in the battle that we're fighting, uh, you know, for this country? Well, this isn't, it's not a battle uh, like we've seen in the past. You no. know, it's not sort of that typical Democrat versus Republican push and pull. This is a fight of good and evil. I mean, when you look at the, the porn in our schools, forced masking, forced vaccines, critical race theory, radical gender theory, the insane sex ed programs, you know, teachers having kids go and salute the, the BLM and trans flags in their classrooms yeah. or boys playing in girls sports i mean you can go on and on and on the left is in a full-scale war to try to steal the minds of our children and the hearts of our children and to make them believe in this this radical propaganda that essentially you know 
the only thing you can really call it is this is this is Marxism. It's cultural Marxism, and it's an attempt to shift the next generation into a bunch of communists. And so, you know, when you look at that fight, it's a fight for our survival as a nation. It's not just another, you know, culture war moment. This is an actual fight for the survival of our country. And if we don't take it on like that and with the ferocity, you know, necessary when you talk about like how we legislatively deal with it, it can't just be us going on Fox News and saying, oh, this is bad. Look at these crazy people. We've got to actually legislate our way out of this you know, like Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida. And I think we need to take it that further, which is why I've proposed, you know, if we're lucky enough to get sent there by Tennessee, and I believe we will be, you know, one of my priorities is going to be to go and introduce a federal anti-grooming bill that goes even further up to sixth grade, um, whereas Florida's goes to third, because I think we've got to be strong on this stuff and say there's no place for it in America. And we're, we're not going to accept this, uh, this radical sort of infiltration of all of our institutions any longer. We're going to take them back. Yeah, it's definitely uh, part of the components that go into the huge equation that is, you know, getting this country back on the right track. I think the war on children is just the next step. It's something to take away from a lot of the bad policy disasters that have gone on with the Biden administration as well. But at the same time, to see how much traction it's gotten, I, I don't even think they could have speculated so much success to where, you know, you can't find like TV shows or movie series or anything, award shows, coaching hires in professional sports that aren't just absolutely in, like infested with all of this. It has to, like even the Supreme Court justice. I think that's probably, you know, saying the qualifications for, you know, uh, Katanji Brown Jackson was a uh, black female. And then you have her go up on Capitol Hill during the confirmation hearings and she can't even identify what the female is. That should have been disqualifying enough for her in addition to all her awful policies and stuff like that and, and leniency on, on pedophiles. But that's neither here nor there. It, it's just so amazing to see how far we've gotten from, you know, the center of the moral compass over the last, like probably two decades really. And uh, to see where this country's going, if we don't, you know, handle things at the ballot box correctly come November. Well, and those, those numbers of like, well, you know, what would you say? 40, 40% of the kids were identifying as trans. Right. It's like, well, I also wore giant Jinko pants when I was in high school. <laughs> so so it, it was a trending thing and kids are going to jump on whatever the new trending thing is. Right. And I was, I was an emo kid in school, you know, oh, no. <laughs> it doesn't destroy your life. However, this trend stuff, if they're, you know, combining it with hormones and all this other stuff, this is going to destroy their lives. Yes. Um, it's not like the fads when we were all teenagers. And I think Landon may have been on the Jinkos train, by the way. Nice. Um, I, I was going to chime in there. I'm not sure if that would hurt your campaign or not, Robbie. But I, yeah. I mean, she's got great fashion now, but she is guilty <laughs> charged on the Jinkos. But, um, you know, it's just, it's it's really insane what has been allowed to happen on every front with, with this whole issue. And to just think about how quickly this has moved, because just a, a little over a year ago, Joe Biden was saying, I'm going to nominate a woman to the Supreme Court. OK, and then he nominated somebody who can't even say that she's a woman. OK, like, just think about how insane that is. That's how quickly this is moving. And now we have somebody in the White House going up there. You know, we've got Jen Psaki saying, oh, well, you know, we've got to protect these children and we're going to go after any state that tries to keep kids from getting the care they need. The care they need is she's talking about chemically castrating kids. Yes. She's talking about mutilating kids' genitals and stopping their normal biological development in ways that cannot be turned around. They can't be. It's not like this is something you can reverse in 10 years with no issues. If you decide, you know what, as an adult, I was a crazy kid and I did something nuts. I'm going to reverse it. That's not possible with this. And so what they're doing is just um, it's not just incredibly dangerous, but it's going to leave a trail 
of tears for a very long time that we're going to have to deal with as a country. Yeah, and it's it's like you said, definitely not as fast or as quick a recovery. In some instances, there is no recovery from it. There's just going to be dealing with it, and it's not something that we should have to have at the forefront of all the other things that are going wrong in this country right now. Yeah, and these kids are just trying to put patches on their feelings and inadequacies and you know just not fitting in it's like all right well this is the new thing i'm going to try to fit in and do this maybe i feel like this okay i'm going to go get chemically chemically castrated like that's a little bit of a jump like me bleaching my hair or, you know wearing giant pants like that was easy fix i could yeah, take them a, off having a super shave my haircut head. right yeah but uh yeah it's kind of spiraled out of control and gone into uh you know, waters that we, we haven't navigated yet, and it's one that I hope that we can navigate our country out of shortly after the midterm elections. Um, what are some of the things you guys are working on right now on the campaign that's uh, really starting to pick up as we're getting closer to the primary? Well, you know, on the campaign front, um, we've got a lot of stuff coming up. We've got an event with Candace Owens coming up um, May 9th. It has not been publicly announced, but I guess now it has been. Oh, it's exclusive. Um, we, we, yeah, we just announced um, today that we are accepting Bitcoin donations, um, and it's the last day of the Bitcoin conference down in Florida. So I think it's cool timing to, yeah. you know, tie together with that because I do think this is another one of those areas where we talk about, you know, if we're going to be sort of a populist conservative party, we've got to understand that there's been this sort of poison in the financial system for a long time that was not supportive of the people. And I think a decentralized system that people can use for many different reasons. Um, and, you know, the way the government's treating it is something we should all find really concerning. And that's that they want to, again, like they always do, overregulate it. Yep. And so that's going to be one of my, my top concerns is making sure that we can rip out all the regulation and make sure that we can keep the innovation here in America. Because ultimately, if we allow establishment, you know, uniparty folks to go and, and, and regulate the hell out of this industry, all of it's going to go overseas, just like all of the jobs they've already sent to China and all the jobs they've sent to Mexico. This will be another one of those things they send somewhere else where people make billions and billions of dollars and the American people see nothing from it. And so I think we've got a responsibility to deregulate and leave that opportunity and that growth here for America, because this is where it started. And that's one of the most frustrating things is some of the most amazing things that have happened in the world. They started here and we gave them away. And it's always because we overregulate. And so that's going to be one of the concerns for me is making sure that people are still in control of, uh, of Bitcoin and other cryptos. That's a, that's a good point to hear. And definitely one of the large components of your campaign platform that we a lot of people just don't talk enough about. That's definitely one of the hot topics that interests so many people. And, and we've seen so many get on the, the Bitcoin chain for the last couple of years. It's, it's just something that if we don't get ahead of this, the government will regulate it. And like you said, we'll lose all the money to overseas interests. And that's you know, just status quo for what goes on up inside the beltway. Landon, one of the last things I wanted to touch on with you guys was this whole experience. It's been a journey. It's been many years in the making and you guys are getting really close to, uh, you know, the end game right now, as far as like the election goes, we've talked about a couple different things about affecting the family. One thing I want to ask you, how has this whole experience strengthened your relationship with Robbie and overall your guys' marriage and family? Well, you know, to be honest, I don't think, oh, uh, you know, the average marriage can survive something like this if you don't have a strong foundation. And I think it's the fact that, you know, Robbie and I have been married, uh, gosh, almost 15 years. Wow. And we've been through so much uh, health struggles, um, family struggles, and we have um, just strengthened our foundation so much so that, you know, if, if any outside 
you know, irritants or attack or arrows thrown at us. I mean, we just can kind of laugh together. We found a way to just uh, kind of rise above it and, and make light and joy out of this um, because we've accepted the fact that life is hard. Mm-hmm. You know, you choose your hard. This is the path we're choosing. We're embracing it. We're choosing this. We're choosing to fight for our country. We're not victims here. We're not going to sit and play the, play the victim. Oh, we got nails in our tires. Oh, people are making death threats. I don't care. You know, uh, I, I, have, I have guns. Robbie has guns. We're, are, we're covered in prayer. We're fine. We're not fearful. We're not operating from that place. Um, and we want to inspire other people to do the same. So, you know, this is what we're choosing to do. And, and it's a privilege to fight for our country, to take on this role. Um, and we want to see other people stand up and take, you know, support uh, or, or run in their area to, to take that, that seriousness. This is the last stand. I really believe that. This is not a typical election. This train is moving so fast that people are just sideswiped and they're just, they, they don't even see what's coming. And it's our, our you know, privilege to step up and, and do everything we can to, to create a radical resistance uh, against it. Yeah, that's a good point. Rob, you want to follow up on that at all? I would just say, you know, I have to give her all the credit because somehow she's kept our life totally balanced. And, you know, we we haven't really lost as much family time as I see a lot of other people do because she's been so creative in how we make it all happen. And, you know, I think including the whole family has been something that made us a lot stronger in this process because when it's safe to, you know, we keep our kids involved and uh, they love it. They're really proud of everything we're doing. But what's crazy to me is honestly, you know, people are like, you must be so busy, Robbie. And I am busy. But Landon is like 10 times busier because she's also dealing with the kid stuff, but she's she's helping with the campaign. And then she also just launched a nonprofit, Freedom Forever, that, um, you know, she had organized the march to the border, which was the largest you know march I've seen in my lifetime at the border um, to go and make a point that we need to shut things down. But she's uh, with this organization. They're they're going and fighting all the child exploitation we were talking about from an outside level, you know, away from the government to stop it at the at the root of the problem. And I think that that work is so important and, and everything she's doing on that front and the volunteers, she's sort of rallying to the cause to fight for kids is just um, there's there's these there's these things in life where you can't describe the pride you have in the people you love. And it's one of those things for me. I'm just I'm so proud to see her spirit and her her love pour out for for kids through what she's doing. Well, that's really good to hear, and uh, definitely awesome to be able to get back with both of you guys. We know how extremely busy you are. You're both going in different directions as soon as you get off the air with us today. And uh, before we let you go, we know, Robbie, you got a heart out. You're about to jump on the radio. Real quick, when is the primary, and where can we follow you across social medias? Absolutely. So uh, it, it'll be August 4th is the important election. That's the primary because this is a very Republican district. It's an open seat, so the primary is really what matters. And early voting starts July 15th to July 30th. Um, and that's something I'd encourage people to make sure, you know, if you have the chance to do it, go ahead and do it because you never know what's going to happen on August 4th. You may have a family thing come up or a work thing come up. So just get your vote in. Um, it's critical. Yard signs are a big help. If you don't have time to volunteer, I mean, we really, we want volunteers. So we're knocking on even more doors than we already are, but, uh, you can get a free yard sign by emailing KT at Starbuck2022.com. That's just the letters K and T at Starbuck2022.com. But then at our website, Starbuck2022.com, you can donate, you know, whether it's in normal U.S. dollars or in Bitcoin um, or various other cryptos. Um, but your help just means a ton. And then on social media, Robbie Starbuck on all platforms except for Facebook where it's slash Robbie Starbuck TN. Um, and I think that's it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Freedomforever.us is my nonprofit. And then I'm on socials at Landon Starbuck. Perfect. We're going to live link your guys' socials and both of those, your campaign website and land in your organization today in our show. And uh, again, I think it goes without saying, we're going to ask you guys to come back at some point between now and August 4th to give our listenership an update because not only are we super strong supporters of what you guys got going on, our listenership absolutely loves it when you guys join us. Thank you so much for having us and for the support. We're so grateful. Yeah, this is uh, our favorite family who's running to represent Tennessee 5 in the midterm elections. Mr. Robbie and Landon Starbucks, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Thank you. We love you. We'll be back. Take care. Amazing sitting down with both of those guys again, Robbie and Landon Starbuck. It was definitely a wholesome piece. It gives our listenership a little bit of insight onto what goes on behind the scenes when you're running a major campaign, a national campaign at the local level. Because they got a this, powerhouse team, yeah. Yeah, for Tennessee Five. And like this, they're both absolute studs. And uh, we, we only wish them continued success and the best. And uh, we're going to keep you know, pumping them out. They're welcome back on this show whenever, and we support them 100%. They're doing it the right way and for the right reasons. Um, unlike all things related to Hunter Biden, Oof. which is where we're segment weighing to next. Uh, so the Hunter Biden laptop thing is heating up. We've seen a lot of the major news outlets and the legacy media acknowledge it for the first time last week. We, we you know, have been covering it throughout. We've had some real experts on the situation and all things containing it, Vishbura, Darren Beatty, et cetera, on the show with us. And, you know, some situation to say the least. Mm. Is it going to lead to the end of the Joe Biden presidency? I mean, I'm hoping that there's just some sort of just absolutely incontrovertible evidence on there of just complete corruption, which I think we know there is. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what Jack Maxey starts leaking out once he gets his uh, apparatus set up in Switzerland, where he has had to... That's three for today. Thank you. Had to run to. Don't worry, we have the outro later as well. <laughs> um, Peter Ducey. Knowing that his time with Jen Psaki is short, asked her a question. Uh, since we love all things unselect and special counsel related uh, on the Democrat Party, if uh, they were might have feeling like one's coming for the Hunter Biden laptop at some point. Let's hear what she had to say when asked about that. Another topic, a lot of stories about Hunter Biden surfacing this week. So to ensure the independence of the investigation, would the president support the appointment of a special counsel? Well, first, the president has never had a conversation with the Department of Justice about any investigations into any member of his family. Mm. He said that during the campaign, and he will continue to abide by that. So I'd point you to the Department of Justice for any additional steps they would take. They would make those decisions independently. Is, is there any concern that they're not going to be necessarily seen as being able to make the decisions independently if the White House chief of staff is out saying that uh, the president is confident his son did not break the law? Well, that's something the president has said, and certainly we would echo. But in the same answer to that question, Peter, uh, during an interview this week on Did the ABC, Ron Klain also said the Justice Department is independent and they will make their own decisions. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure they he, will. He didn't break the law. Uh, we have uh, photos of him smoking crack. <laughs> not once, not twice, not even thrice, <laughs> many times. Maybe that's why Obama's so mad at him. Maybe that was his daughter. That's a good point. And uh, I mean, if anything would, if anything would uh, gain the cold shoulder, it would be snorting cocaine off of your daughter's bang on your daughter. <laughs> it would be really awkward to make fun of if it weren't true. But unfortunately, we're there. 
Um, you know who else is there and who's been over the target the whole time? Uh, Joe Doucheborough and friends, mm. his creepy you know, partner, Mika, and that whole disaster they have over there at MSDNC. Um, they were some of the biggest repressors of all things Hunter Biden laptop related and demonized the New York Post for running with that story. Uh, so close to the election, they made comparisons to it being like the FBI email thing that screwed over Hillary Clinton in their eyes back in 2016 and uh, change your tune a little bit, even though we've extensively played audio clips from them completely saying the opposite. Let's hear how they weighed in on the Hunter Biden laptop this week. Post comes out with it. They're the mm-hmm. only one that comes out with it. And then it is banned on social yeah. media. That's mm. bad. Yeah, yeah that, that's, it's horrific. That's bad. Because, again, it is, I think we have to, you know, you have to say it. It's a real, it's a real story. Oh, yeah. I don't know how these people fucking look at themselves. It's a real, it's a real story. I don't know if you noticed. It's a story and it's real. Well, <laughs> it's amazing. It's really frustrating. <laughs> I'm glad we live in the digital age where receipts now just all you have to do is kind of search it on on Twitter and eventually you'll find it. Mm. But it, it's one of those things that you, you just don't want to believe it sometimes. Just like the the rest of the legacy press, there was some event. It was at a college this week um, that supported. I'm air quoting now journalism in America. Mm. It was the uh, at the Institute of Politics, Ann Applebaum, who's one of the biggest propaganda distributors from one of our favorite papers, The Atlantic. Mm. She wrote that article back in. Uh, last February that said how Mike Lindell was going to uh, destroy the Republic. Of course. And had a huge picture of him in Godzilla-like fashion behind the White House. It looked like he was attempting to smother 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue with a MyPillow. Sounds like one of my memes. Yes, it is. We didn't even need to make a meme for that one. It was already there. Just cut and paste and put our promo code on it. Um, Use code steak. There you go. Check out for big, big savings. Let's hear her kind of weigh in on the Hunter Biden laptop when asked by college freshmen what they thought about it. Good. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. I'm Daniel Schmidt. I'm a freshman at the University of Chicago. My question is for Miss Applebaum. Um, So in 2020, you wrote, those who live outside the Fox News bubble do not, of course, need to learn any of the stuff about Hunter Biden, referring to his laptop, of course. Hmm. Uh, A poll later after that found that if voters knew about the content of the laptop, 16% of Joe Biden voters would have acted differently. Now, of course, we know a few weeks ago, the New York Times confirmed that the content is real. Do you think the media acted inappropriately when they instantly dismissed uh, Hunter Biden's laptop as Russian disinformation? And the what correct can we learn answer from is that yes. And ensuring that what we label as disinformation is truly disinformation and not reality. I mean, my, my problem with Hunter Biden's laptop is I think totally irrelevant. Mm. I mean, it's not whether it's disinformation or, I mean, I don't think. This was he, yesterday. Hunter Biden's um, business relationships have anything to do with who should be president of the United States. Oh. So I didn't find I don't find it to be interesting. Ten I mean, percent for the big that guy. That would be mm-hmm. my problem with the, that as a as a major news story. Uh, we're going to talk about more of this uh, tomorrow in our first uh, panel. So, Stan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Was that that teacher from South Park? No, we're going to talk this about later. Okay. Oh, the guidance counselor. Yeah. You know, I saw... Oh, yeah, the guidance council. I saw a video on an Instagram reel. Somebody shared it, and it was of um, Matt Stone in the recording booth. 
Oh, that was amazing. And he was just going. He First he did that guy. Yeah. It was the guidance counselor. Okay. And then the guidance counselor in, introduced two people for like Asian Awareness Week. Oh, and then he did the Asian voice. That was amazing. It was the guy from, from Shitty Walk. And, and he even made the faces. Yeah. I remember when they used to do it in like a, a bathroom. Well, I think the faces like just kind of come with the sound though. Yeah. But but to see him go on like a five minute rant about it, uh, you know, yeah, it's pretty good. Act, very impressive. Our home of the Mister Garrison button is still in safe hands. Yeah, it's it's never going away. Speaking of safe hands, soft pillowy ones. Ooh, Brian Stelter was there as well. I don't know. Looking extremely potatoey. I don't think those hands are safe. I think they've been places you don't want to know about. Well. <laughs> The dunk contest that would be all of these guests getting destroyed <laughs> by 17 and 18 year old kids continue. Let's hear him get uh, absolutely annihilated. Uh, hi, thank you for coming. Uh, my name is Christopher Phillips. I'm a first year at the college. Okay. Uh, my question is for Mr. Stelter. Uh, you've all spoken extensively about Fox News being a purveyor of uh, disinformation. Uh, but CNN is right up there with them. They push the Ooh. Russian collusion hoax. They push the Jesse Smollett hoax. They smeared Justice Kavanaugh as a rapist. And they also smeared Nick Sandman as a white supremacist. And yes, they dismissed the Hunter Biden laptop affair as pure Russian disinformation. I wish they were showing uh, With mainstream face. corporate journalists oh, becoming little more than uh, apologists and cheerleaders for the regime, is it time to finally declare that the, uh, the canon of journalistic ethics is dead or no longer operative. Uh, all the mistakes of the mainstream media and CNN in particular seem to magically all go in one direction. Are we expected to believe that this is all just some sort of random coincidence or is there something else behind it? Mm. It's too bad. It's time for lunch. <laughs> uh, you have 30 I, seconds. No, I mean, there's a, there's a clock that says 30 seconds. But, but I think my honest answer to you, and I will, I'll come over and talk in more detail after this. My answer is, is fuck you. I think you're describing a different channel than the one that I watch. Uh, but I understand uh. that that is a popular right-wing narrative about CNN. I think it's important when we talk about shared reality and democracy. The kids systematically all these pointed out all the things that they spread. Democracy. And when they screw up, admit it. Uh, but He's getting fatter, by the way. Benjamin Hall, the Fox News correspondent, was wounded in Ukraine. The news oh, crew at CNN and the New York Times bigger. stopped. It's like only his bald spots getting bigger, not anything else. They get out of the country. They tried to find the dead crew members. That's what news outlets do. That's how they actually do work together to your question about do sharing work. those kinds of connections and trust. We don't talk about it enough, though. We don't share that Care reality about, answering the about question. how that yep. happens. And with regards to the regime, I think you mean the President Biden? The last time I spoke with yeah, a Biden aide... We yelled at each other. So that's the reality oh, okay. of the news business. What were you arguing over? Lunch? The people don't hear. They imagine that he was it's just a, trying to get them a to situation hear. that simply is not. Did you say, but hey, I think Barack? Your question, it speaks to the failure of journalism to show our work and show the reality of how our profession operates. We have a lot of work to do, I think. So Fatty got lit up mm. and then went on a minute and a half of non answer, uh, followed here. by, well, I don't know what the last part was, just. He yelled at a he yelled at a Biden staffer, and he claimed that he himself and Joe Biden were yelling at each other. I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> maybe it was about ice cream flavors. There you go. Or maybe because he ate the last the chocolate chocolate chip, not the chalky chalky chip. Mm. Jim Biden, in regard to this whole narrative, has been coming back into the news. Jim Biden. Jim, Joe's brother, the one who has. It's been alleged that he's committed massive 
fraud with money in regards to um, contracting that he did in Iraq in the rebuilding process. That's a diabolical thing to fucking skate money off of. One,ly landing the jobs, and then twoly, how the jobs were done and, and what actually went into it and where the money went. Um, this is starting to become more of a common narrative here, and uh, Jen Psaki was asked about it. Mm, she didn't like that one, I bet. No, she did not. On another topic, was it common for President Biden to do favors for Hunter Biden's international business partners, like writing college recommendations for their kids? I have, I've seen the report. I have no confirmation or comment on a report about whether or not the president, when he was a private citizen, wrote a college recommendation letter for an individual. I, a college recommendation letter, though, from, uh, at the time, a former vice president would be a big deal. So do we know what the president might have gotten in return for doing a favor like that? Again, I have no a confirmation of any recommendation letter the president wrote when he was a private citizen, by the way, not uh, serving in public office. That's She's hitting the, the podium again. But he's the president now, and you're his spokesperson. Mm. Correct. And he was not the president at the time of this report. So there's evidence that the president at one point was office mates with Hunter and his brother Jim here in D.C. It's not accurate. That is not accurate. So when Hunter Biden is emailing a landlord, uh, please have keys made available for new office mates, Joe Biden, Jill Biden, Jim Biden. That you're disputing. They were not office mates, no. They were not office mates. Okay. (laughs) Great. Did she just say great? Yeah. Did she really just say great? She did. Like, that is just the bitchiest Karen thing ever. Well, obviously, I didn't order that. She like Okay, had, so you didn't order that. She, she had the, yes, I didn't order that. Great. She had the mad version of blushing going on. She had, like, the little <laughs> eye patches of red underneath her eyes. Yeah. Like like when like people, a, people like drink a, too much. Like a Japanimation cartoon. <laughs> Let me just... This is just idiot. And this isn't 101 for our listenership. Clown world. So everything... Ever related to Donald Trump, his taxes on the table, his business completely. dealings, his kids, anything ever, peeing on beds here, putting in you know, applications to build hotels in Moscow there, you name it. If it if it was if it was private citizen Donald Trump, they want it. He's getting subpoenaed for it. He's going to get indicted for it. And Definitely. it's news forever. Forever. In the brief time that Joe Biden was not working for the government. They have done so much evil shit and nefarious shit and illegal shit that is starting to come to life right now. And anytime anything with an actual receipt is brought to the forefront, well, that's private citizen Joe Biden. Well, Hunter Biden doesn't work for the government. Well, you're going to have to ask the spokesman. I don't have that information. I don't have that data. I was not aware of that. But everything else that hundred percent happened. He doesn't matter if he was a private citizen. It's, the, like you, you can't be a sane person and look at this shit and just be like, it's like that meme of the dog sitting at the bar and it's, everything's on fire. It's like, this is fine. Like, those are the people that we're dealing with. Those are the people on the left that are just like, this is my president. He's the best president ever. I'm going to be a Biden cheerleader for everything that he does. And this is the reason why gas is expensive. And this is the reason why not that we printed how many trillion <laughs> It's ridiculous. I can't even. Like, what can you possibly do? What can you do? Except know that there's a double standard and there's a two tiered justice system, and we're just trying to vaguely report on it. Speaking of which, 
Hunter Biden may be coming to the Beltway at a time sooner than you may think. It was in committee yesterday that he was subpoenaed, not for the Hunter Biden laptop, but to weigh in as an expert on Ukrainian energy. Let's hear it. Thank you, Madam Chair. And Madam Chair, pursuant to Clause 2K6 of Rule 11 of the Rules of the House, I move that the Committee on Oversight and Reform issue a subpoena to Hunter Biden as an additional witness for this hearing. Hmm. Uh, Hunter Biden helped sell one of the world's largest cobalt mines to China. <laughs> cobalt is a key component in batteries for electric vehicles. Gotta go green. It's obvious that Hunter Biden has a valuable expertise which he can share with us today at this hearing on electrifying the federal fleet of postal vehicles. And so, Madam Chair, we should have him here at this hearing, and I urge my motion. Okay, the, the gentleman has made a motion to subpoena Hunter Biden. They're just passing her papers. is in order. Is in order. <laughs> Can you remind me when we do Friends of the Week to... Uh, uh, to thank Hunter, Hunter Biden's mailman? To thank Andy Biggs. <laughs> Who requested that subpoena to be issued because he's an absolute fucking stud. And that was a Giga Chad troll moment right so there, too. It, do you think they're going to issue it? I hope so. That's a, can you imagine? Yes, I can. Because at some point, oh there's got to be a break. It has to. <laughs> Gas is up to six and a half bucks a gallon right now. What if that, they just have to dig that guy out of a bender right now? Because, I mean, I, I haven't really been following Hunter Biden or really trying to track him down. But has anybody seen him lately? No. Is he selling any $40 million art? No, not that I know of. Made with pipe stems? They did say that uh, 22 Secret Service members are needing to occupy a property adjacent to the one he's renting right now on behalf of the American taxpayers for $30,000 a month. They rented a home and turned it into a literal Fed dorm for 22 Secret Service men who make up his detail. On top of the... Everything home. else that he gets. Yeah. Well, does he own his other home, do you I, think? I have no idea what's going on with that fucking guy. I mean, he's got plenty of money. Yeah. But, he's got but what of, if he's, he's just on... baby mamas, too. What if he's just on, like, a wicked bender, just going crazy? I don't know. And, like, they have to dig him up for the subpoena, and he's just, like, all cracked out and, like, missing teeth again. It's, well, he has veneers, so I don't think that's really an issue, but... What if he loses them? True story. <laughs> he could bang him on the coffee table while he's going through the carpet looking for Parmesan <laughs> cheese. The fact of the matter is, is that... I do feel everyone's saying that at some point he's going to be subpoenaed. If we have to wait till after the midterms, that's fine with me. I just want to see his piece of shit ass get called up there. Listen, I don't even care if he goes to jail. I just want to know, you have no expertise in any of this shit you made fucking money off of. What was 10% for the big guy? What was the Chinese cobalt deal? What was the Russia uh, mayor's wife's? Uh, $3.5 million gift. What did you receive a five-carat diamond for? Why were you funding and landing contracts to build biolabs next to the Russian biolabs that exist in Ukraine still to this day? I just want to know. And and what what did you do to get on the board of Burisma? If he just gives us the answers to those and they say, oh, okay, it looks like it's extremely corrupt, and then they go after the people who allowed him to get to all these places and let him fucking skate, I'd be completely fine with yeah, that. Yeah, that's fine, as long as somebody goes down for it. fact of the matter is, we all know it, Joe Biden monetarily weaponized his office of the vice president and all the influence he had in Washington, D.C. for four decades up to when he was getting ready to run for president to line his pockets and his family's pockets, and we need to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. So for every fucking way that Donald Trump was able to circumvent tax laws for his multi-billion dollar apparatus... Which everyone does. ...to be extremely successful... Dude, he's come out and say it. 
for the taxes that Rachel Maddow eventually got, which was illegal, and then read on the air, which was twice illegal, and she should have been charged with doing that stuff because you're not allowed to do that, it just showed that he used every loophole known to man to pay the least amount of taxes. Guess what? That's what people do. Pro-gamer move for anybody who's in big fucking business. I bet Nancy Pelosi's uh, probably skated on some taxes herself. With all the shit that she's insider trading on, just that alone is enough to land her in prison. But she'll never be fucking held responsible for any of that stuff. And it's just like we said, the two-tier justice system, the absolute fucking double standard, and the things that go on in Washington, D.C. Listen, when it comes to some of his business dealings, is Donald Trump a fucking scumbag in regards to some of it? Yes, but so is everybody else on the fucking face of the earth. Why do they only have to highlight one person? Because he's doing something that no other politician has ever done since the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. And it's literally be one man who can control the ebb and the flow of the entire movement with the wave of his finger. Yeah. I mean, it's the truth. Yeah. And, and it's where we're at right now. Do you think Hunter Biden ever goes to, like, Olive Garden and then just, like, loses track when they tell him when to stop on the They're Parmesan just cheese grinder. Plate. More, more. <laughs> I actually, I actually went to uh, Olive Garden with my mom okay. recently. I don't know. It's just like, you want to go to, go to eat Olive Garden? Sure. Why not? You fancy. I like some fucking breadsticks. There you go. Uh, I asked the guy, I'm like, how, like how many times has people just made you just burn through all the Parmesan cheese in your grinder? He said, to be honest, the most I've ever done is three. Three, three grinders? Like, like had to go reload three times. Wow. I was like, He's like, but in their defense, they fucking ate all of it. Good for them. Yeah, get your money's worth. That'll bind you up. There goes your tip. To say the least. Just the tip? Biden you up. Mm, I like it. And speaking of, on things that are corrupt, we're going to stay on that thread. Not what our next guest, but talk about corruption in regards to things related to January 6th. Uh, He's a good friend of Cash Patel and Amanda Milius's. Cash is representing him. And he uh, does a lot of great work at AMDC Productions. And we're going to be joining Daniel Bostic here in just one sec. All right, joining us on the show next today, he's a political activist who does some consulting. He's also a recovering model, great friend of some of ours, Cash Patel and Amanda Milius. He's uh, Daniel Bostic. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Hey, guys. I am really um, psyched to be here. I love everything you've been putting out. Oh, we're um, and all my all my friends have been on here, so now it's like coming full circle. More than happy to have you. Yeah, welcome to the family. There you go. Now you're one of us. Yes. So, uh, all right, what's going on with you, sir? Uh, well, you know, I so I work with Amanda um, here at uh, AMDC Films, um, which of course we did plot against the president. Um, I was a, a producer on that, and then. Um, we, uh, I am sort of running in my own lane with a separate issue, which is that I have become the first, uh, January 6th, uh, I would say activist or like person who was wrongfully sort of trashed in the media, um, to file a defamation lawsuit, uh, in, uh, in the state of Texas against daily dot who ran a headline, uh, literally, I think the headline read, um, that said that I was I was January 6th riot organizer, hmm. which is a pretty bold claim. It, and the funny thing is it came out just um, like a, a little over a month immediately after January 6th, uh, which is, makes it a very bold claim because then you're like, no one knew anything at that point about what had happened. Um, but that one was pretty shocking. I mean, there have been some other separate, but that one in particular is just really egregious. And uh, it led to sort of a lot of, negative consequences for me personally and professionally. And, um, so 
thankfully I've got a great lawyer, great legal team. Um, and then I'm working also with cash's new fund, uh, which is fight, fight with cash, um, which is a legal offense fund, not a defense fund. And because my case is an offensive case, um, that's, uh, the direction we're heading in. So, you know, it'll be really interesting to see. And we got to file it, uh, in uh, Texas actually, um, because their parent company is incorporated in Texas. So, uh, we, we also are out of the Virginia DC court system, which makes it a little bit unique. Yeah. So what was the whole, you know, surrounding those charges and stuff like that? So riot instigator, uh, organizer, organizer. I, they allege that I personally organized the riots themselves on January 6th. And they allege this again, a little a month, um, a little more than a month after January 6th happened. Um, very bold claim. And I mean, it, the, it's very, I mean, Scott Adams talks about this very well, but it, it is very weird to sort of wake up one day and like you're you're reading things that are about you and you're like no that's not true because i was there because you know your own truth but it does this weird thing to you psychologically and um you know the fallout from stuff like that i don't think people understand the fallout from that kind of those kinds of allegations is like really bad um and i'm not the only person that's been targeted there's been other people that have been wrongfully targeted as well but um, I think because mine was just so insane and, you know, egregious that, you know, it's, it's become sort of the front running case. Um, and I really hope honestly that it, it emboldens some of the other people who are trashed in the media over January 6th and over other events. Um, you know, people that have these lies and stories concocted about them out of thin air. I really hope that in some way it like emboldens them because I think that we just have to start like, we have to start playing their game back at them. What are they trying to base that claim that you were a organizer off of? They're, they're trying to base the claim on the fact that um, I, I'm not, the funny thing is I'm not entirely sure. It seems to be <laughs> sort of a guilt by, and that's no one's really that sure. It seems to be sort of a guilt by association thing. And I think, because I'm well connected sort of on the backside with all these like people on the right. Cause I've been in politics for like 12 or 13 years now. Um, and so I, I think that it was more, it was just, it's very weird. Like it's, it's, I, I can't even come up with in my head with a rational explanation of like how, how you would presume to know that. Um, I, in 2018 was originally when stop the steal as a concept was started. A lot of people don't know that. Um, and that was back in, um, the midterms when, uh, th- there was an issue coming out of Broward County. Um, and there was an election official named Brenda Snipes, who ironically had previously been indicted on election fraud charges. Oops. <laughs> um, and uh, it was a similar situation where, like, as, you know, we started getting calls uh, from activists on the ground there. And they were like, do you know what's happening in Broward County, Florida? We were like, no, the race is over. And there was like a governor's race and a Senate race and then a bunch of an ag race that was actually really important that year. And then a bunch of down ballot races. And um, it was 
it was funny because they what they were saying at the time didn't make, and now it sounds obvious, but it didn't really make any sense to us. And they were like, no, they're like finding these new boxes of ballots that are, that they're like, oh, we didn't, we discovered this box of the state seal box of ballots from this precinct. And now we're like bringing them in and oh, these just happened to be like 80% Democrat or something like that. And so um, what we realized was that the, the GOP, the RNC, kind of all their apparatus, none of them had really taken an interest in it to the point that I think it was Rick Scott who wound up calling a press conference. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but he was like, you know, on a, at the end of election night, we had like an 80,000 vote lead. And then we wake up the next day and we have like a 60,000 vote lead. And then we're waking up. He's like, and now it's like, it's like going down to the wire. And, and one of the, so what we did was a, a very peaceful protest that was outside of the election um, office there in Broward County, where they were counting the votes just to provide some level of oversight. And there was weird stuff happening, like U-Haul trucks and, like boxes being unloaded at 4 a.m. with mm. ballots and like just a bunch of weird stuff. But um, what was interesting was that as we were there, um, the percentage of those votes, the way they broke down, sort of changed in real time. So the longer we were there, it was like it went from being like 80 percent Democrat to like 60 percent Democrat. And then it started like kind of trending the other way, which was interesting. And so I'm not making a, um, you know, sort of value judgment on that. I'm just saying that we, that was the first time that we had seen that when citizens get engaged in the electoral process and provide oversight, which is, you know, what poll watchers do, um, which is, you know, there's many programs that people can use to report voter fraud or things that they deem suspicious. And, um, and that was sort of the, the first stop the steal, if you will. At that time, my role, I was just helping them with comms because I'm, good like working comms for people um and so i was doing comms for them and that was my original involvement with stop the steal so the reason i say all of that is that apparently somehow the allegation is that because i was with stop the steal at the beginning and then sort of was supportive of them through the 2020 cycle um and so, and like very mildly involved um i spoke at like one or two rallies for like a grand total of like three to five minutes or something um and I didn't have anything at all to do with any planning or anything really on January 6th. I wasn't even going to go. Um, and then uh, I wound up going last minute. But so the allegation is really this sort of guilt by association thing, which is very common tactic that the media and the left uses. And, you know, it's almost like a QAnon kind of thing where they're like, oh, this person knows this person who might have been here at this time. So clearly they did X, Y and Z. And, you know, I'm sure they all have us on like a giant cork board with like you know, pins in it and strings and string pointing to all of us. But um, Daily Dot was really the, the, the shocking one, just coming out and saying, I organized it. And it was like really mind blowing. Um, <laughs> well, it sounds like they have an airtight case. Yeah, not only that, but it, it sounds like you're, I think, the fourth or fifth, you know, person that we've had on our show since that time who is being charged with some of the same stuff more namely like Alex Brusowitz was our guest literally last week. And, uh, he was talking about the exact same thing. So, uh, it's, it's just funny how, uh, you know, they just keep taking these cases individually and, and saying that you were the person that did this, you were the person that did that. And, 
it just doesn't seem like they're just trying to see what the, whatever they can glob on a big board, like you guys said, with the strings connecting everybody and what eventually will stick. And so far, it looks like not too much is going to. I think I think what happened in retrospect was that the media so over over promised on what had happened on January sixth. And because that narrative was so set in stone in the minds, particularly of the left, because they're the main audience that's consuming CNN and MSNBC and these yeah. groups, they were sort of took it a, a lot of these sort of internet vigilantes and some of these other people to kind of took it upon themselves to be like, okay, we know what happened, which is that there was this giant organized plan to, I, I'm not even sure because that's the funny thing. I'm not even sure what the plan was. If, if there was a plan, it's like, as an outsider looking in, I'm like, the plan was to like send some people in to like in the rotunda. Like I, I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not even sure what the allegations against some of the people who actually went in are. Um, but, uh, yeah, but it's, it's like there, the, this thing about insurrection and all of this, I, I just like the narrative doesn't make any sense to me. And the funny thing is I, there's a lot that people don't know about sort of the order of events of what happened on January 6th. But I, you know, my involvement was simply that I went to the speech that Trump gave at the ellipse, um, which was not a stop the steal event. It was hosted by a group called women for America first. Uh, and then there was a March that everyone knows about called, um, this, I think it was called the save America March again, not organized by stop the steal. That was a women for America first event. Um, there was only one event that Stop the Steel had scheduled for that day that I was told about and invited to, which was um, a permitted event uh, behind the Capitol in a specific lot. So they worked with Capitol Police and stuff before. And they had done that before, people forget, too, back in, I think it was December, maybe. Um, and there was like a million and a half people there. And there was like no instances of violence at all. I mean, like, you know, someone would get drunk and punch someone, I'm assuming. But like, there's no virtually no violence, um, completely peaceful. And uh, so it, it, the only event that Stop the Steel had never occurred. So even the allegation that if I'm somehow like this mastermind behind Stop the Steel, which I'm not, uh, it's like that even doesn't make sense because <laughs> our event never happened. So. So it's like there's there's no coherent narrative, and I think what is happening is it's just collapsing. And I mean, you've seen like the FBI has talked to Reuters um, and said, yeah, there was no like giant organized plan. We don't believe that, um, but that hasn't stopped any of these outlets. They, I mean, it's so absurd. Like they claim to have a video of me on the steps of the Capitol, and were you doing I a Braveheart speech? The well, yeah. Well, they, they, they keep like citing, I think Salon ran it and then Daily Dot ran it and then a bunch of other people have cited it. And I, it's like, I, that never happened. Like I was never within like hundreds and hundreds of feet. Uh, I mean, I couldn't even make out who was on the steps if I wanted to. I was so far behind just like kind of watching everything, trying to figure out if it was safe for me to be there or not. And, um, and I've asked them like many times, like, can I show I want the public to see this video of me on the steps of the Capitol and they won't release it because it doesn't exist. Um, but that, that, that didn't stop them from sort of taking that and running with it too. So, so with your lawsuit, would that be something that they'd be maybe asking them to provide? 
I would assume so. You know, I'm not a lawyer, but it, it would seem to me that that they would essentially be forced to admit that there turn is no that such video thing, over. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and and you know, Zachary Patrizo, the um, the uh, blogger who sort of he's hopped between a bunch of these left wing outlets. He now he went to work for Salon later, so presumably he would have even seen the video at some point because he's working there now mm-hmm. and it's still in the article that i was on the steps of the capitol which is like completely false it's it's not only false i have photo and video that i wasn't anywhere near that area and i had like there's like four or five people like friends that i met and stuff that we were all like standing far far away just kind of like figuring out what was going on so it's it's really just like such a uh, it's it's a wild a wild accusation and it it honestly shocks me that they kept it up. Like I would have thought at some point you've got to look at this as an editor and you have to be like, you know, what 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 is any of this based on? You know, and it's like there is there is no basis for any of it. That makes sense in reality, but that's not exactly the pool that we're wading through right now, it's just like calling the whole thing an insurrection. It's like, yeah, there was no actual people being charged with insurrection, not really an insurrection. But as long as they say it enough times, everybody else runs with it on social media and everywhere else. Yeah. Well, it's one of the things too, you're seeing, uh, even today we're seeing for the first time, some of the verdicts come out from the, uh, Gretchen Whitwer, Michigan, FBI entrapment case Mm -hmm. where they said that there was this huge elaborate plot to kidnap her and storm the Capitol and take her to an Island and do all this other bullshit. (laughs) So two of the defendants have been found straight up, not guilty An Island. Right. And, and, and several of the other defendants are, are jury locked and they're probably going to be acquitted. I didn't even, I didn't even know that I've been following this case, but I've been off the radar. So this is like breaking news to me. That's, that's that's fascinating. This is literally coming across the wire right now. And uh, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, at the end of the day, if these verdicts stick, and it looks like they're going to because Julie Kelly went out and made the announcement just a little while ago, uh, the only thing that's left on the table is is Fed entrapment, which is what they say everything that this whole situation wasn't. Mm, so, that's awkward. Yeah, it, it really well, is. Well, and there was that case that um, – there was that verdict also that came out, I think, two days ago in the January 6th verdict in which the judge, who is a Trump appointee but has, you know – based on what I've seen, been in no way been f- particularly friendly to any of the defendants. No. Um, and has actually been very gracious to the DOJ with extending sort of these cases on and on and on and on. Um, and that, you know, he threw the whole thing out because he's like the Capitol police let this guy into the building. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is going to be very interesting thing to watch especially in light of now the Whitmer thing, because it's like there is the legal narrative. It doesn't even make sense. Like if you're, if you sit down and think about it, it doesn't even make sense in your head. Like there's just like, there's no completely no basis for us. And I, you know, and I've always said like, if someone like got assaulted a police officer, if someone was like vandalizing stuff or like any of that, like I have no problem with those people, you know, going through the legal system as long as they're treated in a way that is commiserate with other protesters yeah. that have done similar things. I'm I'm not defending those actions, and I've publicly spoken against it many times. But, um, but some of the just with the, what the DOJ is doing and the way that they're using pretrial de- um, detention as like this weapon is 
objectively terrifying. Yeah. Like it, it is, it, it is unbelievable. I mean, there's, I think one guy who's been in prison for, I'm not sure exactly what he's charged with. I think it's most of them are like parading or something. Um, <laughs> I'm not even sure, like unlawful parading. And I'm like, I, I would love to see what the legal definition for that is. I'm not even sure. But, uh, you know, that guy's been in jail for like 14 months now waiting for a trial. That's crazy. It's just like unbelievable. Yeah, it's 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 something like we've never seen before um, regarding the, you know, the justice system. And in this digital age, it's 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 all out there. And uh it's one of those things that we have to kind of take into uh, account moving forward. We hope that these verdicts coming out right now in the Michigan case are going to, you know, bleed over into the, a lot of the January 6th defendants. But when, when you just look at like the legitimacy of being able to keep these guys in, in, you know, DC federal prison for a year and a half, and eventually they're going to be either acquitted or the charges are going to be dramatically reduced. Like, what are we doing here? Like, this is things that you see in countries that we claim commit crimes against their own citizens on a regular basis. Every time someone takes the podium up at the state department or the department of defense, and we're doing some of the exact same things here in the United States right now, it's very scary. Yeah, it is completely, completely horrifying. And I, I do believe, however, that the public is starting to catch on to it. You know, there's been some interesting polling that's come out surrounding particularly that word insurrection. Um, and, you know, I think at one point there was a poll that came out and said something like 26% of people would call January 6th an insurrection. Yeah. So, so the narrative, it doesn't seem to be sticky enough. And I'm not sure how that's going to affect, you know, the legal cases that are pending. But um, it, it certainly would seem to indicate that, you know, the public is not necessarily on the side of, of the narrative that's coming out of Democrat Party. Um, and I think that has them worried. I think that has them worried ahead of midterms. I think in, in addition to, you know, an entire laundry list of things they should be worried about. No, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, we're just going to keep tracking it and, and hoping that it works out for all of you guys, the way it seems to, you know, be heading down that direction. Now, Daniel, before we come with you, I want to touch with you on, you know, the midterms are coming up. It's probably one of the most critical midterm elections in the history of our country, especially with the direction everything is going in now. You name it from, you know, uh, foreign policy to national defense, the southern border and the economy. There's not anything that isn't really on fire right now. Uh, There's also the assault on children. They're trying to re-roll out the vaccine mandates at some levels. And uh, there's just a lot of stuff going on. What are you looking forward to in the midterm elections? And then who who might be some of the people that you think uh, are really kind of starting to resonate with the American people as far as like the you know, upholding the America first values. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. I was around during sort of the tea party wave and then, and then the wave that occurred in 2014, um, which, and which I think we picked up something like 65 seats. I think that was maybe a record. Yep. Um, And back then the, the generic ballot polling was the gap was much narrower than it is now. Um, And, in, in favor of Republicans. And so now it's like the generic ballot polling is like in like far past the red zone for Democrats, if you look at it. And that's assuming you can believe the polls, because as we've seen, they aren't exactly uh, reliable when it comes to our side of the fence. Um, so, you know, the only thing I'll caution people with is that voters have a very, 
in general, voters who are not actively involved in politics, you know, like the rest of us are not actively watching all of this. Voters have a very short attention span. Yeah. And um, and, you know, there's been this has been an issue throughout, you know, really all of American history. And so if the Biden administration continues to do what they have been doing, I don't see how the Democrats have anything but a bloodbath for midterms. Um, Now, if, you know, somehow they can sort of find a way to, like, put some of this to rest by, you know, manipulating levers in the media or refocusing on stuff like Ukraine and some of this other stuff. You know, there there is a chance that um, it winds up being a little bit more narrow, but I'd, I'd, I'm going to call it. I mean, I think at this point the House is a lock um, and probably the Senate. Um, and then as far as candidates, I mean, you know, there's so many America first candidates that are running. I, my personal favorite is Joe Kent. We love him. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if he's been on the show or not. Um, yep. Coming back for round in, four at the end of the month. Oh, wow. Okay. This is great. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, he's a great guy. Um, I've loved getting to know him, uh, just a, a guy, a guy who has not only the, the policy alignment, but the character behind it. And, and that, that is what really makes, uh, that's really what makes Joe special. So that's the one I'm particularly excited about. Yeah. Amanda thinks he's the hottest America first candidate as well. So she, she I mean, I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna just do that. <laughs> it's just one of those things she said, yeah, I love Joe Kent platform. I also love flirting with him. So it's one of those things that, you know, it's great to hear, uh, you guys kind of weigh in on that. We love Joe and we're looking forward to having him back. Daniel, we want to be able to direct our listenership to kind of be able to track what's going on with you. Uh, you've been pivotal in the movement. You kind of got caught up in this whole thing. Uh, you know, we're really in the belief system here that this is all going to wind up going away. And, and for all the failed, you know, politics of the Biden administration this far, they're only using it as kind of a reminder to, uh, you know, make it an inflammatory issue as we head into the midterm elections. And uh, we hope that you guys can get past this uh, real soon. It seems like you've got amazing representation, both from your defense fund and then offensively with, with Cash. You talked very highly about what his plans are moving forward to, uh, you know, be going after those guys. And, and we think at the very least you're in good hands. So where can we find you across social media? Is anywhere you want to direct our listenership to? Yeah, so on social, I'm D-E uh, Bostic, B-O-S-T-I-C, on Twitter, Instagram, on Truth Social. Uh, for people who have managed to get into that, I'm just uh, Daniel on Truth Social. Uh, and that's probably the biggest thing. And, you know, go watch the movie if you haven't seen Plot Against the President. Yep. It's honestly one of the best ways you can kind of support all of us. So Yeah, it's a goodie, and we're going to be looking forward to uh, everything you guys have uh, going on there and, and we'll make sure at some point in the future we're of course going to have Amanda back but we'll be looking to sit down with you again as well um, yeah so Daniel Bostic thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast thanks guys take care well it was good sitting down with Daniel and uh, I think our circle of friends now Amanda Cash and himself is complete yes he said he uh, <laughs> since all of his friends have been coming on the show I guess you know what if you want to even extend that Bigger circle of friends, Erica's in there, and so is Adam Laxalt, who consequently flipped with Daniel today. Daniel was supposed to join us next week, Adam today, but Adam's going to be going on Sean Hannity tonight for the first time. So, Oh, we got bumped for Hannity? I see how it is. That's where you hit the garrison button. Nope. Not even a okay, little bit? Okay, fine. Oh! Thank you. Um, things that are garrison button related is the crisis that's about to happen on the southern border. 
Ooh, man. Yet, yes, it's continuing to continue. Can you imagine working down there and just looking forward to this happening? I couldn't. We live in San Diego, and that's close enough for my liking. <laughs> Fresh off of COVID oh. and ready to end Title 42, Cabinet Member, Department of Homeland Security, Chief Alejandro Mayorkas, formerly of CIS, jumped on uh, CBS yesterday to talk about preparation and lack thereof for all things related to uh, the southern border. And as for an exclusive interview, Mr. Secretary, thank you so much. When Title 42 is lifted, it could mean up to 18,000 more migrants every day. day. This will become an even bigger crisis. How is the department preparing to deal with it? It's very difficult to predict what that migration will be, but we are <laughs> planning for different scenarios. We are then at the border, surging resources. What distinguishes us from the past Processing? Uh, is the fact that we will not implement policies of cruelty uh. that disregard our asylum laws. We are rebuilding a system that was entirely dismantled. But do you acknowledge you're likely going to see a surge? We very well could, and our job is to be prepared to address it. You the system that was dismantled, meaning you were making people follow the asylum laws? He said we very possibly well could see a surge. Not confirmed? Very possibly well could. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so he said we're going to follow the asylum laws. Mm -hmm. Okay. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think some people that are coming to claim asylum right now are actually breaking those laws while in the process of their asylum claims, correct? If you go and look at some of the uh, journalistic endeavors of Ben Bergwam and uh, Savannah Hernandez, who have been on it this week, watching yeah. people cross from Mexico from over 100 different countries, be apprehended, smugglers included, um, and then get walked to your nearest bus station, destination unknown. Now with a free flip phone. I'm Ooh. just I'm just kidding. They're new galaxies. Really? Yes. Those are expensive, right? Ish. Taxpayer dollars. Oh. COVID vaccines, baby. Money is no object. No. We're going to get into that in a little bit. But before that, there was some fire coming from up on Capitol Hill this week in the form of Chip Roy, who really is a uh, one of our strongest border advocates in the house and uh he was letting his democratic counterparts hear it when he uh laid into the whole narrative going on down there on the southwest border and so oh we've got this big fear coming in april's but oh this no we don't want to have title 42 and my colleague from texas mocked the focus by some of my colleagues on the need to have title 42 as if it's not causing rampant flow across our border, little girls put in stash houses, getting raped, cartels making $100 million. And then the chairman scoffs. The chairman scoffs when I say little girl getting raped in a stash house. Has the chairman been to the border of Texas? Has the chairman been in the last year to the border of Texas and met with border patrol agents, gone down and talked to the people that are sitting there looking at what's actually happening in would stash you, houses? the gentleman yield? I'll yield briefly. Yes. And what did you find? Thanks, Nadler. No stash houses? The chairman scoffed. Is the chairman saying there are no stash houses with no little girls getting raped in Texas? The gentleman will yield. I will. I am not saying there are no stash houses. I'm not saying little girls not being raped in Texas and in every other state in the union for that matter. Well, 
than reclaiming my time when the chairman scoffs, when we talk about the, the damage being done to this country with cartels having complete operational patrol of our border, charging three to $5,000 a day to come across the border, and little girls getting put into the sex trafficking trade, I think that tells us a lot about where the priorities are of this committee. And I'm getting a little sick and tired of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle scoffing at Texans having to take the brunt of this. Ranchers losing their longtime family-held ranches. Fences getting cut, livestock getting out, people getting abused. And my other side of the aisle just doesn't give a whit about it as evidenced by the scoff of the Judiciary Committee chairman. It's absolutely mind-boggling. This is what the American people are absolutely sick and tired of. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm an American people. You are? I'm tired of it. Yeah, me too. It's, uh, it's been a wild ride, to say the least. And uh, that ride may be getting a little bit wilder. Now, coming on a voluntary basis, but maybe to the steps of the Capitol near you, just kidding, the one in Washington, D.C., we may be seeing busloads of intended immigrants being delivered straight to Joe Biden's doorstep. Enter Texas Governor Greg Abbott. (laughs) Second, to help local officials whose communities are being overwhelmed by hordes of illegal immigrants who are being dropped off by the Biden administration, Texas is providing charter buses to send these illegal immigrants who have been dropped off by the Biden administration to Washington, D.C. We are sending them to the United States Capitol where the Biden administration will be able to more immediately address the needs of the people that they are allowing to come across our border. To get that going, I'm going to sign. So he also teased that they've uh, secured the employ of up to 900 charter buses. Now, we all know this isn't a 100% stopgap because technically apprehending people, let's just say DPS does it, and they put them straight from the water onto the bus, send them to Washington, D.C. Technically, that's kidnapping. But I believe there are going to be people, people down there encouraging them. Well, no, I think they're going to scoop up the ones that are released, that are being bused to those areas. They're just going to be like, hey, here's your connection. That would be good. Uh, there was a lot of people that were advocating for, well, you know, this is just, you know, conservative bullshit, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, why don't they just ship them back across the border? I'm like, well, that, that they don't, charter buses don't have the uh, legal authority to deport people, I don't think. Jen Saki was asked today about those comments made by Greg Abbott yesterday. And uh, she weighed in and uh, was aggravated as usual. You know, we're saying part of that is is, is a big virtue single, but we'll, we'll see the way they work it out. Let's hear her. They're working to do in order to implement when we get to that point in time. And the last one on this. Now that the Texas governor is saying that he's going to start busing border crossers to Washington, D.C. She's literally rolling here, her eyes. Are you guys going to help them find a place to stay and something for them to do? Well, I'm not aware of what authority uh, the governor would be doing that under. I think it's pretty clear this is a publicity stunt. His own uh, office admits that a migrant would need to voluntarily uh, be transported. Um, and then he can't compel them to because, again, enforcement of our country 
country's immigration laws lies with the federal government, not a state. Washington, D.C.? Well, listen, I don't know, but I know that the governor of uh, Texas or any state does not have the legal authority to compel anyone to get on a bus. You know, Carrie, Carrie Lake has said on more, more than one occasion, including on our show twice, that the state of Arizona will be removing these people, and if they're not from Mexico, they will be paying for them to be flown wherever they came from back. So... I think as the federal government continues not to observe our standing immigration laws and lets an absolute free-for-all happen down at the fucking border, that governors are going to be coming up with as much creative handling of that in their states yeah. as possible. Because remember, a lot of these people who are crossing right now, like, like Greg Abbott led into, they're getting bused to Houston, to Dallas, to Irving, and then they're trying to get flights out of those cities. But in the meantime, while they try to coordinate with whatever NGOs are doing that for them, George Soros aligned organizations, they're fucking on the streets. Yeah. Begging for food, probably committing minor crimes to say the least. Now listen, if they, if any of them subscribe to TikTok on their new phones, they'll see what life's like in San Francisco and they'll start doing that shit all over the country. Yeah. So. Well, and then the thing is with these, like Arizona, let's say that it's not really worth it to try to cross the border into Arizona. Okay. See, th- those policies work. Like, that is a reasonable thing to keep people from breaking the law. Like, oh, I'm going to get sent all the way back, and if I want to try again, it's going to cost me a shit ton of money. I'm going to have to pay the cartels again, mm-hmm. do all this other bullshit. Mm-hmm. What if I can't pay them again? Or what if I'm... Now, what if I still owe them? Yeah, what if I'm an indebted servant and I get deported? So that is a reason for people not to take this risky journey. But at the same time, California is real close. Yeah. And that's just, you know, Tijuana is going to be full of people. You want to know something else I came to learn this week? You remember the last migrant caravan when the people of Tijuana were freaking out and, like, really being what we would be called racist for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wild. So the state of Texas had been purchasing through a third party um, remnants of the border wall that was never constructed. Mm-hmm. All the materials that are just sitting there out in the sun. What are they doing with them? They were using them, they were buying them, and then they were going to restart the, you know, remember, they worked into their budget next year to finish portions of the wall. Wasn't Carrie Lake saying that they were going to reclassify abandoned federal equipment or some shit? That's in Arizona, but I'm talking about Texas this week. So the Biden administration found out that the people who were buying it, no, that Texas was buying it and put fucking court injunctions in to make it not eligible for sale, even though it's been abandoned. And they weren't allowed to buy anymore. I believe they had purchased like $31 million in, in like supplies and stuff like that. And then the Biden administration legally got in the middle of it. And now it's stopped. So fucking annoying. And what, what is the point of that? The Besides wall. just not being able the, to. Their platform was they were not going to institute any cruel policies. I'm air quoting cruel of the prior administration. They considered the wall the centerpiece of the cruel policies. Even though right now we are sending almost $15 billion to Ukraine to uphold their border integrity and sovereignty as a nation due to invading forces. All right, everybody listening right now, I want you to look out your window if you live in a house or apartment complex. Our studio doesn't have windows. Well, shut the fuck up then. Fine. Do you have a fence? I'm imagining a window. Do you have a fence? Yes. Okay. I said our studio. Does the White House currently have a wall around it? Yes, it does. 
besides the normal fence slash wall that's normally around it? Yes. Okay. What about Joe Biden's house on the taxpayer dollar? Joe Biden's house. And then how about Barack Obama's seawall that actually people were making uh, concerns about the environment because of it or Mm. the... uh, Wouldn't that be to stop the the oceans rising, the seawall? Oh. (laughs) There you go. There it is. Yeah. All those people buying that beachfront property for the beach that's going to be gone in, what, 12 years? Or is that the last? The carbon footprint of that $31 million plantation that he bought up in Martha's Vineyard, though, is quite unmatched in most places of the country either. It's more than a queef. I bequeath you. And as we're getting ready to wrap here, I do have two more good ones from today's Friday's presser with Jen Psaki. Because we don't know how many Fridays she has left. We're almost to May. And, and Peter Ducey wanted to stay what on if, message. What if she just has a fucking meltdown on I hope the last she does. day? Like Austin-like? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? China's ahead of us. Blah, blah, blah. Where do you get that? Don't you get briefings? He's like, yeah, I get briefings. And they tell us that you're fucking in second place right now in hypersonics. I'd love to see Saki get into one of those with Ducey. I don't know if Peter Ducey professionally. What if she punches him? Has that in him. She what might throw she, like a pen at him or something. What if she Will Smiths him? Mm. Hey, what if he Will Smiths her? She's more deserving of it. Well, yeah, I mean, they couldn't They couldn't really say anything because what's a woman? It's at times like these that I miss Emerald Those are Robinson just two dudes getting most. down. Yeah. I know. How dare you identify either one of them as whatever. No, but I'm saying I'm not a biologist, so. The free smartphones, the galaxies that all of the intended immigrants are now receiving are came up as a topic today. And I wanted our listenership to hear just in case they thought we were making this up. That is ridiculous. Following up on the smartphones that are being given to border crossers with technology so they can be uh, tracked or so they can check in, is there any plan to give free smartphones to U.S. citizens that want them? Should we not be tracking uh, migrants who irregularly cross the border? I'm asking irregularly. Or do you have an alternative suggestion for how they should be tracked? I unfortunately have not been asked to make U.S. immigration policy. Uh, Today's your moment. Well, it'd be great if uh, anybody that wanted a free phone and a free monthly plan could get one. So is that going to be an offer for everybody or just people that walk into the country illegally? Well, Peter, as when we talked about this the other day, uh, what I noted to you is that we have a range of means of tracking individuals means? who irregularly migrate to the country uh, as in, in to order to ensure that they are meeting their Did notice to appear migrate? obligations uh, and that they yeah. are appearing in court when they should appear in court. Phones is one of them. There are also ankle devices and a range of tracking devices. 80% uh, of individuals have, of non-citizens released at the border from DHS custody under prosecutorial discretion have either received a notice to appear or are still within the window to report. So yes, there's telephonic reporting. There is SmartLink, which enables participant monitoring via smartphone. There's the global positioning system. These are the range of means with modern technology Skylink? that we monitor. Starlink. No, Skylink has Terminator reference. Uh, Okay, so I don't know if anybody's friends with Peter Ducey. Anybody listening here has contact with Peter Ducey, but will somebody please fucking tell him the next time she fucking blows him off and says, well, I don't know, I'm not a... He just goes, well, here's your chance. Perfect. I like it. And, uh, you know, I, I listen, if you thought 90 plus percent of people who cross the border illegally... Never show up. That is a well-documented fact. You can go back, look in years past. It's in the 90-plus percentile of people. They don't show up for their court well, Those are rookie numbers. We're about to smash those. Yeah, we are. Just imagine if 
all of the stuff you've seen on TV relating to the border up till now and add close to 20,000 people per day on top of what already... It's not in addition to, it's on top of what's going on. And we're looking at food shortages possibly coming? We're about to hit the middle of the summer, too. So, I mean... It's, oh, the, the, the summer gas that doesn't work as good and it's more mm, expensive? That's my favorite. Sure is. You know what would be my favorite in our last audio clip of the week is finding out the answer on whether or not Joe Biden will indeed ever make his first trip down to the summer. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Peter Ducey's smart-ass follow-up question in today's presser. Let's hear it. Does the president have any plans to figure out what these small towns who are bracing for a major influx in migrants next month need by making his first ever trip to the border? I have nothing to predict for you in terms of additional trips. The president will be traveling the country, uh, but I don't have any more specifics for you at this point. Just at this point that I missed the how about no button. <laughs> right? But uh, I reached for it the other day and I, I was like, uh, I know you did. Uh, and I was like, how about no? <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of where we're at in this week in the news. Uh, it's been a very long and very news-packed week. You know, we didn't even really have the chance to talk about Russia and Ukraine except through some proxy comments and conversations because that's so far on the back burner of the stuff that's going on in this country right now. I mean... The president is obviously and clearly a disaster. Everyone, even on the liberal side of the legacy media, is now starting to point it out on almost a regular basis. The administrative state is abandoning it. And all at the same time that the Hunter Biden laptop is heating up. And when you talk about hot, it's going to be those summer months down on the southern border when you've got more migrants coming in than ever before now in the history of our country. We've already smashed so many different records in regards to apprehensions, releases, months' worth of people, weeks' worth of people, days' worth of people. Which are, yeah, it's just that's kind of where we're at right now. And as the news cycle will continue to spin throughout the course of the weekend, we'll be back and ready and loaded and good to go on Tuesday to bring you that uh, news narrative that is continuing to develop, as is the plan always on Steak for Breakfast. Not too bad of a week, huh? I mean, for the country or just for us? It was a horrible week for the country, and it has been for the last 15 months. Plus, I missed Antoinette today. Yeah. You know what I uh, never miss is all the places that you could listen and watch the Steak for Breakfast podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcasts, FM Player, iHeartRadio, Pod Addict, and now exclusively on Roku TV via the Patriot Podcast Network app. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds obviously go to our amazing guests today. We had on uh, Mr. Vish Burra of the Logan Circle Group. We hosted the Starbucks, which I thought was a great piece. And uh, Daniel Bostic, completing our circle of friendship with all things Amanda Milius related. And uh, it was good to hear everything that's going on with him. Sad, but uh, good information to get out to our listenership on just how much of a pain in the ass this whole J6 narrative is. In addition to that, some of our internet friends, Cagbury88, Patriotic Babe Accounts, Mr. Garbaggio, Kyle Becker of Kyle Becker News, John Backman of Newsmax, Christina Bob of Save America, and Mr. Tom Papper, now of Cozy TV. Friends, don't forget to go out and throw some cashola at our partners. The only thing that you do by enacting that is helping make small American businesses great again. My pillow. Mike Undell, My Pillow Family, Big Big Sales, Apparatus, 
promo code steak at checkout. Find them at mypillow.com forward slash steak or talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. Everything headphone related. If you're in studio recording, if you love video games and want a console specific set of plugs that are going to make that experience that much more better. If you're uh, in the podcasting game, odyssey.com, you'll find everything you need. Listen, you get for what you pay for there and it's the top tier ear gear. Stay ready gear holsters. If you want Jen Psaki pathologically lying from the podium of the press secretary of the United States, they'll throw it on a concealed carry holster for you made out of melted Kydex done right. Stayreadygear.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Don't mistreat your meat. Kind of sad. My wife said we were going to take the kids out to dinner now instead of the ribs I was about to go buy because when I did purchase them, I was going to take the man rubs I have at my house, shake it, sprinkle it, rub it. I was going to slow cook them. Put a little bit of barbecue sauce on it, post-slow cooking, throw it under the broiler, and then eat them all num num num. How much are those fucking ribs going to cost you now? Dude, just for like a short rack of pork ribs, it's like $20. Jeez. I was going to have to buy two or three of them to feed uh, my whole fam and the in-laws. Um, Mike, down at West Coast Survival Arms, it's a pretty simple equation for everything he's got going on. Firearms, parts, accessories, ammo. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com is the website. You can reach him on Facebook Messenger via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders and fans thereof. Home of the hottest IG of our partners. Check them out at MediocreMedic.com. And go and give some of your hard-earned cash to Mark Joe Friday at the home of the Zero Fuck Stuck. Dumpbox.us. Find them on Facebook. Find them on Instagram. Just find them and go support all of our partners. What do we got? Upcoming shows. Here we loaded next week. Frank Polo, Florida 27, Myra Flores, Texas 34. They both cleared their primaries and are headed to the general elections. We're going to be sitting down with both of them on Tuesday. In addition to that, we're going to be sitting down with Newsmax's constitutional attorney contributor, Amir Benno. And we're going to be talking about things Elon Musk related with his new um, stake ship and Twitter. Stuff that's going on with the Trump and Clinton lawsuit. And some of the uh, things surrounding a possible Biden impeachment. Next Friday, we're going to have Kelly Townsend, who's primary challenging Wendy Rogers in probably the spiciest local district in the country. Miss Christina Bob will be back to do the news with us and give us a full update on everything that she's working on since she's joined the Save America campaign. And we'll have our reschedule with Nevada senatorial candidate Adam Lexall. The following week on Tuesday, we've got Luna Lopez, who's running in Florida 4. We're going to be circling back with the Prestons. Jason's running to represent Utah 3. We'll get an update from the Reawaken America Tour with Clay Clark. And we'll have a conversation with Brent Hamachek. He's the managing editor of Human Events. So he's got a lot of stuff going on. This is one of the guys that's working directly with Pasobic and, and all the things that they do over there through their media outlet. Next, uh, the Friday after that's going to be pretty spicy. We've got two of the biggest senatorial candidates going right now, scheduled same show. Jake Paquette, who's running to represent Arkansas, and Mr. Herschel Walker, who's looking to uh, flip the Senate down there in Georgia. They're both going to be joined by uh, our guest to do the news that day, Miss Norbin Laden. Geisha Montes will be back with us on the 26th. In addition to her, we'll be circling back with Blake Masters, Arizona senatorial candidate. One of our great friends looking to represent Georgia 10, Mr. Mike Collins. And a good one, which I just scheduled today. Representative Tom Massey's primary challenger, Claire Worth, looking to represent Kentucky 4. 
she'll be with us on the 26th as well. And then looking down the road a little bit on the 29th, we're going to be sitting down with one of our great friends for his fourth appearance on Steak for Breakfast. We were his first podcast, Mr. Joe Kent. Friends of the week, let's wrap it up strong. Amanda Milius for getting our Twitter nuked. Carm Vibe, Sublime and Slime, what I mean to say. Edward Russell, Hugh White memes, sharing our content all over social medias. Love it. John Hacker, LA. Grand Old Memes, That Southern Dude, Midnight Mitch, Puberto's 2.0, Mostly Peaceful Memes, of course, Dumbass Photoshop, The Silent Mean Jordy, Madam America, Snack Dickelson, Hispanics for DeSantis, and of course, Baby Cakes 2.0. Things to remember between now and Tuesday. It's not too hard of an equation. Do your own research. There's a lot of shit going on with the January 6th committee right now. Do your own research. Look at what happened in Michigan today. Hopefully we'll be bleeding over into that narrative as well. Number two, start a podcast. Not too many edits today. But uh, when you've only got two out of three, like I said, we missed Antoinette. Uh, I'll take edits over some of the good commentary we have offline. And an extra episode. There you go. And last but certainly not least, and doing the intro over three times. Let's see what happens. This has been episode 123 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back on Tuesday with Frank Polo, Amir Benno, and Myra Flores. On behalf of the pod team, Antoinette, who's dispatched, I'm Roan. Noah? Yo. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and take care. I fell down, injured myself, and couldn't get up. I was instantly able to summon paramedics, my next-door neighbor, and doctor without touching a telephone. I just pressed this remote control, which contacted Life Alert, my 24-hour emergency response service. Listen to these Life Alert customers. You just wear this little pennant around your neck, and that is all there is to it. All I need to do is push a button if I need any help at all. It's a two-way communication system. If I didn't have Life Alert to have been able to get the help I needed as soon as I got it, I wouldn't be alive today. Imagine being able to summon help virtually, instantly, without touching a telephone. Get free facts by mail about inexpensive Life Alert right away. For free details by mail, call now. Damn!